0: Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson and you're listening to Grill and JR with the voice of wrestling,
1: Mr. Jim Ross. Jim, how are you, man? Conrad, thank you for asking. I'm wonderful today. Hope all the folks are as well. We appreciate them tuning in and helping continue to build our brand together. And I think we've got a good one for for everybody today.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to talk about SummerSlam 2009, getting our way back machine. Talk about something from 10 years ago and... Lots of little interesting things here that are relevant today. 10 years ago tomorrow, it went down on August 23rd at the Staples Center in LA. It's the 22nd SummerSlam and uh, the first one ever in LA. Uh, 14,116 fans. Of course, on TV, it was announced as being 17,000 or so. Yeah, 369,000 buys on pay-per-view. And we should mention that that is down from the prior year. 2008 got 477,000 buys. It's got the, uh, official theme song, uh, which is, uh, something that all SummerSlam started to have around this era. This is, you got to move by Aerosmith. So it's a big band. and This is one of the, uh, times where we're doing an access at SummerSlam. It went down on August 22nd and 23rd at Nokia place, which is right there by Staples center, and this is going to be the first of six consecutive SummerSlams that took place at Staples center. Uh what's the mentality in hey, let's make this arena sort of our home for this because it does feel like SummerSlam has sort of bounced around. It was at Staples Center and then it was at Barclays for a long time. Of course, this year they tried Toronto. Uh but why was Vince or what was the strategy about sort of digging your heels in on one market, one city every year and making it an annual event?
1: Uh it helps create a better tradition. It uh LA has a lot of sizzle. A lot of decision makers that, uh, WWE would love to do business with are located there, so from a PR marketing promotional standpoint, advertisers, et cetera, et cetera, uh, being in LA was strategic. Uh, and it also gave the marketing people in WWE a a year at a time to promote and, and solicit sponsors, title sponsors, et cetera, et cetera, for ancillary monies by coming back to the same place. So. I enjoyed, uh, those, those, uh, LA Summerlands. uh, great city to, to perform in, uh, you know, you generally get good weather, plenty of things to do. The talents enjoy bringing their families to a place like Los Angeles and spending a few days, cause you got to remember, uh, uh, this is kind of interesting in the sense that these guys are on the road all the time. So they, they acquire all these airline miles. And then of course the company is going to pay for their hotel. Uh, once they, uh, and, and their, their flight. So now all the guys got to do is bring his family to go to Disneyland or wherever it may be. All the other attractions there, if he or she chooses is, uh, to get them out to get them there. And again, those airline miles come in handy. So uh, it was a nice destination for the, uh, the, the talent too. And I don't think, it would, you know, we don't talk enough about that, but from a marketing side, it was crucial, promotional, uh, business contacts and so forth. I can guarantee you that all those years coming to LA at the Staples Center that those uh, I know personally that several Fox executives were coming to those shows uh during those years too because they had big wrestling fans in their group, uh did Fox and Dust Fox now and they uh were they were part of that whole uh demo run. So you can kinda of see what what we do. But uh it was a good idea Conrad that to go there. I'm and I, I, guess they just want to change. I don't understand why it had something to do with the building. I, I got to believe it wasn't changed for change sake. Cause that's bad, but it's a good, it was a good experiment. I thought it worked out real well. LA was a good host and, and summer slam LA, the sunshine, the beach, the scantily clad, uh, roller skaters, you know, all that good stuff. So I, I liked it. I liked it. I didn't make any money on those trips because good old Jan was shopping. That's a shopping Mecca. So we're. It was just a break-even trip for me. <laughs> so it was, it was still bad as hell.
0: Let's talk about, uh, something you guys were trying on the way here. Raw uh, was doing guest hosts every week for a period during this time. And I think the concept was actually introduced by the current president of the United States, Mr. Donald Trump, who at the time in storyline is the owner of raw. Uh, here's sort of a, a list of guest hosts on our way to SummerSlam. We got Batista on the 29th of June. A week later, Ted DiBiase, then Seth Green, then ZZ Top, then Shaquille O'Neal, then Jeremy Piven, who, uh, when he's promoting SummerSlam, called it SummerFest. Then Sergeant <laughs> Slaughter, then Freddie Prinze Jr., and the night after SummerSlam, we've got Floyd Mayweather and Stephanie McMahon says they're planning on doing this guest host gig for the rest of the year, perhaps all the way to WrestleMania, and they've booked Bob Barker, Reverend Al Sharpton. Um, Nancy O'Dell from Access Hollywood, LeBron James, and they're working out. Uh, Paul, Fallout Boy and Ashley Simpson and the Osbournes and Danny DeVito and Regis Philman and Kelly Ripa and Jimmy Fallon and MC Hammer and Woody Harrelson and Serena Williams and Ashton Kutcher and on and on and on and and she says we're letting advertisers feel safe with the PG environment by bringing in celebrities. We're saying, if it's okay for them, it's okay for you too. And she noted she had new deals as a result of this with seven 11 and Pepsi. And she says it's also good because it draws in new viewers and good for the celebrity because they get some exposure. what do you think of this idea? And is the strategy smart when it comes to selling advertising?
1: I think the strategy was smart because all we were utilizing those uh, hosts for was the proverbial rub. So the stars came on our show. They on raw and they, they provide a rub for the brand, uh, WWE and the, uh, PR representatives of those individuals, uh, work together to make sure fresh releases and the word got out. And then you saw the, then after the, after the fact, oftentimes you'd see the a clip, a little highlight of these, of these stars appearance on, uh, other shows like entertainment tonight or whatever it may be. So, uh, I think for all those reasons, it worked out pretty good. Uh, I, I thought that it was very challenging for the creative staff to come up with, uh, the bits, uh, that, uh, were needed to make that whole thing entertaining. I think, uh, I want to think that Brian Gerwitz was part of that, uh, helping with the scripting of and writing of those things. He was very bright, a uh, very, he's really a brilliant guy. Uh, and I always respected his work. But it it becomes daunting, Conrad, because it's sort of the same act over and over. It's a guest host. And the guest host, you know, you want them to bring their own game with them. So uh, I I liked the... I didn't have a problem with it because of all the ancillary publicity you got out of it, the publicity you get going into Raw, the publicity you get coming out of Raw. uh, Probably a good idea. But uh, again, it comes back to the old saying I say here a lot is that when it's not about the money, it's all about the money. It's all about advertisers. It's all about creating new revenue and utilizing those established names like Bob Barker, et cetera. Uh, Betty white, all those great stars, of, you know, whatever. And, and, uh, and, 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 creating awareness. And I thought it did that. Well, I wasn't a big fan of the actual presentation of it because there's only so much you can do. And everybody's, they're not used to coming to TV and without a script. They're not used to working without cue cards or teleprompter. There's these guys are in a whole different world. I remember when, when William Shatner, I said, hello, Mr. Shatner, call me Bill. Okay, Bill. So I've been calling Bill since he introduced, uh, he inducted Lawler to the hall of fame in 2007 there in Chicago. And, uh, he got there just relaxed, cool, calm and collected. And, uh, until he asked, "Where's my script. And where will the prompter be sitting? Because I guess, you know, he's, his eyesight was what it was. And they had to break the news to him. There is no script. There is no teleprompter. You're going to do an ad lib. And that's where the, the ashen white of his, of his face kind of <laughs> became more prominent. So, and some of these guys aren't used to doing that. And so, uh, that was kind of the thing there. I, 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 I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it, but I knew why we were doing it. It's all about business, all about the money and. And that's not a bad reason.
0: what do you think of, uh, Donald Trump's involvement on in raw? I'm not trying to ask a uh, political question, but I am curious. Uh, you know, this is way, way pre-politics for Donald. Uh, Bruce has said that he had a, a delightful experience with him, but it was, uh, fun sort of teaching him how to throw a punch because he had never really done that before. So Bruce had to show him how to make a fist. Did you have any interesting interactions <laughs> with Donald Trump?
1: Uh, he was friendly. Uh, I don't know that he was overwhelmed by being there. Sometimes he didn't want to sell it. If he did, he sure as hell didn't want to come out of that overcoat. I can't believe a guy. He wears that over. He wears a, he covers up, uh, he's got the old wrestler stuff down. He covers his body. Uh, nothing negative. I know that he always had a sprinkle, a spark in his eye, a sparkle in his eye when, uh, the divas were around, you know, he was kind of an average red blooded American male in that respect, I guess, but nothing negative, you know, I didn't have a lot of time with him, you know, Bruce would have more time trying to produce him. And uh, I find it interesting that Bruce is teaching guys how to throw punches. But nonetheless, uh, I, I, I uh, he was okay. You know, he just, he, he, I tried to talk to him every time he came around. The longest conversation I ever, ever had with Trump was in green Bay. Uh, on a, on a, that show where he bought raw, the commercials and all that stuff or whatever it was. Some storyline. Uh, but he's again, he's, he's very much attracted to the, uh, fair sex. Shall I say
0: let's, uh, let's talk about something else that's in the news. Uh, Meltzer would right. There've been negotiations by WWE to get the old mid South wrestling tape library owned by bill Watts, ex-wife. And WWE has been trying to purchase the collection for years, but the Watts price tag has been too high in their minds. The sides have been back in negotiation in recent months. And apparently the Watts side has been attempting to negotiate a contract for Eric Watts as a wrestler, as part of the deal, which WWE isn't hot on. So let's work backwards. Eric Watts in 2009. Did you hear about this? What do you know about this?
1: Yeah, I heard about it. Uh. I started, I started the whole process with Mid-South, the Mid-South Library uh, being purchased by WWE because, obviously, uh, I had the contacts. Bill's wife's name is Enna, E-N-E, lovely lady. And uh, I told her, I said, I'm going to pull myself out of these negotiations. I'm withdrawing myself from participation because uh, I have too much of a vested interest in what we created in Mid-South. Uh, helped launch my career course. And then, uh, uh, and I don't want to be, it's, to me, it's a conflict of interest and I didn't feel comfortable negotiating with my friends and people that I was around. So, uh, that's how that worked. I, I got us in the game and the, the, uh, Bill, uh, his, his ex, and, uh, and maybe a couple his kids, I'm not sure had a higher opinion of the library and what it's worth, I think they're just picking out a big number. I hope they could get it. And I don't think it was based on any, uh, due diligence and, and research on what libraries are worth or how they're monetized, but it was a good get. And I'm glad that they finally got it bought. But, uh, I, I was in, in the game in that game for a while, got it all started. Got the, where we could look at the tapes and all the good things. But when it came down to talking money, which is everything, it's always about the money, uh, I, I uh, excuse myself for the process.
0: I was just fascinated by the idea that, you know, asking to have Eric Watts get a wrestler contract was even a conversation in 2009.
1: Yeah. See though, that would have been part of the, the negotiation of here, the terms of the contract would include, and I, I was out of that deal, but there was never any serious discussion about bringing Eric to WWE. He'd already had a little chance there with that techno team, 2000, uh, and, uh, What's your favorite,
0: what's your favorite techno team? 2000 match,
1: <laughs> uh, <same as> yours.
0: <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't know when we'll talk about him again, but Eric Watts, I guess debuts in 1992, of course, universally disliked by wrestling fans rightly or wrongly for whatever reason, uh, it was just a miss. And, and I feel bad for him because, and a lot of these second generation wrestlers were like that, of course. Uh, that doesn't apply to Cody Rhodes or Charlotte flair, but either way, uh, it's a tough road to hoe, especially when your dad is the boss. And, um, I don't know. What can you tell us about Eric Watts start in WCW? Why it wasn't uh, well-received. And if he was done a disservice, was he put out there before he was really ready? Did his, did his talent not equal his push? Why was it a miss in the, in the, in the eyes of so many fans?
1: He was not ready for prime time at that time. He was not. He needed to be off to break in and learn your craft on national television is not a good formula. That's not. It's not tryout time. You got. to You should be polished and and farther along than Eric was at that time. Now Eric was a was a real good athlete. I mean, Eric was quarterback in high school, and Howard Schnellenberger recruited him to go to Louisville. Uh, he was a backup there. Had gotten some got some game time, but you know he it, the. the the acorn did fall far from the tree uh, comparing cowboy to Eric Watson bill, the cowboy had a natural feel for the business. He, he, he got it and he, it, it felt right to him, but I think that generation missed Eric in that respect. And that's not a knock on Eric whatsoever. Uh, he's got other skills that he, he utilizes, but the bottom line is, uh, he's a, he was a good kid, wasn't ready for prime time. And, uh, I don't know that the Bill, or myself, or anybody else involved, uh, did Erica uh, nothing but a disservice because she just wouldn't put somebody out there that green, no matter uh, what. And of course, Bill thought he could overcome it. He was, you know, he was a watch by God. and uh, But it was, it was a clouded decision made by a father booking his son. And if we want to start talking about fathers and sons in the wrestling business and the clusters that that, that has created, we can go back. For decades and decades, because it's happened time and time and time again, where the sons of an established father got a break. I mean, look at Greg Gagne. Greg Gagne lived his entire life. We saw him in Charlotte. Greg Gagne lived his entire life in Vern's shadow, as dead Vern Gagne. That's the way it is a lot of times. And sometimes these guys and gals make it, but more often than not, it seems like that's a, it's just an uphill struggle. So I don't think Eric was ever really ready. He wasn't a bad kid at all. He still's not. But that's it, pro wrestling just in a ring was just not his, his, uh, forte. It was not his calling. Shall we say,
0: uh, let's talk about something else that, uh, made the news here in the observer it's about superstar, Billy Graham. Meltzer would report that he put his hall of fame ring on eBay and, uh, the, the bid at the time that Meltzer wrote was $11,500 and Meltzer would comment. It's one of those things where Graham who's 66 needs the money. He's made some negative comments on WWE and, um, Vince McMahon for not building an actual hall of fame Ugh. and he doesn't seem overly sentimental about it. And he says, it's no coincidence that this happened after he was let go from his $2,000 a week consulting contract with one year remaining on it because of budgetary cuts. Allegedly Graham was furious that it happened right around WrestleMania time. When that show did a record 6.9 million. And he is the first wrestler to put his ring on eBay. Uh, But if this is the example of other athletes who are financially down on their luck, as many older wrestlers are, it probably won't be the last one. And it wasn't. We saw lots of Hall of Fame rings pop up there. Jim, you've got one of those on your finger. When you hear that guys were were selling these on eBay, what's your reaction? And and more importantly, what's Vince's reaction?
1: Well, I'm sad for it. I'm sure Vince is frustrating and sad as well that these guys are in such a dire financial strait that they uh, have to sell the ring to pay the rent or buy groceries or medical bills or whatever it may be. It is it is sad, uh, and I, I I'm fortunate that I don't I'm I'm not going to be in that position ever that I got to sell my Hall of Fame ring to make ends meet. Uh, so I'm I'm blessed in that respect, but it's it's a sad. There's no way to me. There's just no way of looking at it other than it's a sad state of affairs, and it may be a ring, and maybe it may not even be the. It's not the quality of a Super Bowl ring, but sentimentally, it is. I look at that WWE Hall of Fame ring like it's kind of a, a souvenir from a <clears throat> from a Super Bowl career type thing. So uh, I felt sad, sad about it. And, you know, Billy's very outspoken, because uh, superstar very outspoken. He gave me and Jan a. Uh, you know he's one of the best artists I've ever seen. Really? Oh yeah. He's he can paint. <clears throat> That's an idea for star someday. Billy Graham art display. <laughs> Seriously, I mean he's he's that good. Wow. He is the, he is that good. And I tried to pay him. Uh, I said, Bill, let me let me and Jan pay for this picture. It's a beautiful uh, uh, like a vase and some fruit things. Beautiful. And he says never. I'll never take your money. So he, he and I, he liked me and I like, I still like Billy, but sometimes Billy's his own worst enemy. He just has, sometimes has to kind of be more careful what he says. And I'm to be charged with that myself. And, and I plead guilty, your honor. So, uh, but it is sad, sad. It happened. And it's sad that he's, his life is in that condition. As I say all the time, I used to tell these guys, they look at you, you know, especially, not especially now, but even now, uh, when I say you guys got to lay some stuff back here, man. Are you, do you have a tax fund? Do you have a savings fund? Do you have, or if you're a wrestler and you only got one account, if you're a public, if you're a civilian and you only got one account, you may be. Flirting with disaster here, Conrad, you deal with more money in your mortgage business and I, know I read a tweet you had this week about mortgages and September 1st is a big, uh, crucial time for those that are thinking about refinancing or wherever it may be. So you're aware around that much more than I. But, you know, a wrestler that's an independent contractor. And and so we can always stop right here this discussion and say, well, they shouldn't be independent contractors. Okay. Maybe you're right, but that's not how it is right now. Right. And you got to deal with today's rules. And today's rules say that you're an independent contractor. You do not get a 1040 tax form. You get a 1099 and you're obligated to pay your taxes every quarter. So, uh, Uh, And that's what we do, and it's not fun. And you write checks that you wish you didn't have to, but that's the way that it is. But a lot of guys, by the time that their their taxes are due, they've already spent the money. Sure, they didn't save a damn thing. And you and I can name guys some of the most famous in history that had that that financial philosophy. (laughs) And I just hope that some of these young dudes, man, and dudettes are understanding. That, you know, nobody's going to take care of your future, but you, right. And so then okay, another, another, uh, intervention here. Yeah, but that should be WWE's deal. They should have a retirement plan. Okay. I'm not gonna argue that. Maybe they should. I don't know how you do that. And, and still maintain the uh, 10, uh, independent contractor status. I'm not sure there's a way, I don't know, but, to, but the point is, is that the, uh, you got to prepare for the future and as much money as Billy Graham made. And he was a main eventer for years and years and years. Uh, he was, he, he, he wasn't able to save. and medical bills in a guy's life can just crush you, can wipe you out. And I think the, for Billy those bad health issues, he's had that may be the case. So it was a sad, a development, uh, but, and hopefully that won't be, I haven't heard anything anybody's my son rings here lately. I, I know that Paul bear, so try to sell his. A, his sons did, I think, after Paul's passing. I think I'm not sure. I may be misspeaking. but uh, it's it's always sad. I can't imagine doing it, but I'm, I'm I can also imagine being broke.
0: Let me ask about this uh, consulting fee here. Billy Graham in 2009 getting two grand a week in a consulting fee. I mean, I don't mean to be dismissive to a legend like superstar Billy Graham, but. I mean, this is just Vince looking out for the boys to send Billy Graham, two grand a week here in 2009. Is it not?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't, I don't remember. And, and you know, guys can so "Well, I had, I, I I consulted with Vince privately. Well, just, he and I on the phone, that could happen. Uh, but that's Vince taking care of the boys is exactly right. Conrad. Uh, and, and I know that that's going to go against the grain for a lot of folks that, you know, he's evil and manipulative and, uh, you know power monger and all that crap, he does have a heart and he does, he does take care of people in that regard. So I've, that's all we're talking about here. It, it was a retirement gift, nothing else. And, and look, two grand a week's over a hundred thousand dollars a year. Not a bad, not a bad little gig to, to do nothing.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'll sign me up for that. Let's talk about, um, Brock Lesnar. He's, uh, making headlines here. Uh, I guess we should remind everybody that the UFC had UFC 100. In July of two thousand nine, and it was the biggest UFC ever, broke all kinds of records, and of course Brock Lesnar is in there with Frank Meer in a rematch as a part of that super card. And afterwards he sort of went off script and cut a promo, even though Bud Light was the sponsor and had their giant logo on the canvas. He says he's gonna go home and drink a Coors Light because Bud Light ain't paying him nothing. That's almost word (laughs) for word. And I thought that was kind of funny, as did everybody else, except UFC. So when he showed up at the press conference, Dana White made sure there were Bud Lights right in front of Brock and he couldn't wait to drink Bud Light on camera because they were clearly not happy about their sponsorship money being sort of tussled about. But let's talk about what you wrote in your blog, sort of responding about this at the time that Lesnar once got out of line with WWE when he got the giant tattoo on his back done without clearing it. And that seems like A lot of our listeners were probably thinking, well, what the hell does that matter? Well, the photography people, the creative people, the people who are making action figures and video games, they sort of need to know if your look is going to have a drastic change like this. And you wrote in your blog that you went and spoke with him. Tell us how that was received. When you had to talk to Brock about his new back tap,
1: afford anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models and how to think about.
0: How to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make
1: more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. Well, I explained to him that it had an impact on business, and that that impact uh, took money out of his pocket. Because if we, if we aren't able to, if we have to slow down the production or the release of, let's say, an action figure, you know, a guy can make six figures plus quite easily if his action figure is uh, uh, accurate, authentic, and out in a, in a timely basis. Uh, so that was the issue there is that, you know, we had an agreement with the with action figure people, the video game people uh, on these guys likeness. And to, to make sure that they look good and they look authentic and so forth. And then all of a sudden you get this giant tattoo on a guy's back that is missing from every, all the other stuff. It looks like you're buying dated material from the get go. So it's not good. A good marketing thing. I explained, I explained to him that way. And pretty much in this tone, uh, you know, there was no yelling and screaming or threats or all that, you know, wild west, uh, uh minutia. We just had a great, uh, we had a conversation. He got it. And he uh, apologized and said, you know, I understand. He said, I didn't think of those things. He was a young kid, Conrad. He's a young guy. And look, uh, when you got, uh, Michael Jordan looking in the eye, you know, you you're going to be smart and how heavy you go in this deal. I couldn't erase the tattoo. Right. I couldn't, I couldn't solve the problem other than provide the talent with information as to why we can't do this. And, and, and I explained to him. It's not a, a personal rule against this. With for you, Brock, it goes for everybody. These people pay us a lot of money, and therefore we're going to pay you a lot of money uh, on these video games and all these things. Now, when you and when you're dealing, when you're jacking around with monies, it's you know a fat six figures, half a mil, more than that. And if you get really hot, like Austin did, seven-figure uh, royalty checks then, uh, you know, you, you don't want your talent to be, you have money taken out of their pocket. So trying to protect him, trying to make him understand what we're doing. It's not, a, not against him. Nobody's picking on him, so to speak. And it was fine. I always, I, I used my own philosophy with a lot of the boys that I give the advice about Vince. You know, you can, you can communicate and, and, and uh, converse, don't confront. So there wasn't a time to confront him. He needed information. I gave it to him, and he took it like a man, and we moved on.
0: The other thing I want to talk about here is, you know, on the build to this UFC 100, they're doing promos sort of pro wrestling style to build hype and intrigue and sell pay-per-views. And Frank Mir, for his starts taking shots at Brock Lesnar being a, a fake and phony wrestler. Mm-hmm. And so as a result, he saw a lot of WWE performers really get behind Lesnar and almost look to him to sort of, Hey, shut this guy's mouth up about pro wrestling, (laughs) which is fun and sells pay-per-views, but it's an interesting dynamic because there's such a bad ending to Brock Lesnar leaving the company that the company probably has a position of, we don't support Lesnar or we don't want anything to do with it. It ended ugly. But now when he's sort of here to almost defend wrestling, even though he's not actively trying to defend wrestling, that's the way it's sort of positioned. So while the office may be sort of boo-boo faced about Lesnar, the boys are really cheering for him here. That's an interesting dynamic. Is it not?
1: Yeah. And I think, uh, Vince, you pull the veil back on the Vince philosophy of that whole matter. He'd tell you the same thing that the boys are saying. Sure. He's he's pulling for Brock because look, Brock's young. and, And as it worked out, look, look where we are now. He's still with the company. Right. He's making millions and millions of dollars a year. He's got a great deal. That no one should be jealous of, unless you're just an idiot who would not take millions of dollars a year on a part-time gig. Uh, I, if you're saying, "Well, I wouldn't," by God, I got pride. Okay, well, you're you're a, you're a prideful idiot. So, what you are then? Because that's to you, that's life-changing money. So, no one is ever going to get two crossways with Brock because he always had that open door, the invite to come back whenever he wanted to, without a doubt. But uh, you're right. The the boys took a personal affront uh, to Frank Meir and uh, but you hit the nail on the head, and in and, and passing, you, hit, you you said that, that you you identified the whole deal. It sells pay per views, and that's that's all to me. It was intended to do because I'm sure that if we had brought in Frank Meir to WWE uh, and offered him a gig, he'd been very happy to take it.
0: So let's. Uh, I mean, I guess it's safe to say if you if you're out under a rock. Brock Lesnar won in decisive factions. Uh, something that sort of stood out to me when I was doing research for SummerSlam 09 is that Brian Kendrick was released at the end of July. I think it was July 30th after a couple of consecutive quick TV losses to Jerry Lawler and Kingston and uh, Kofi Kingston, of course. And it's pretty clear the decision was made two weeks prior because he's pulled out of a program with Evan Bourne. Now, Brian Kendrick at this point is only 30 years old and he's seen his push sort of go up in smoke. He'd been warned several times that the company is not going to tolerate his failing drug tests for marijuana, which at the time is just a thousand dollar fine, but not a suspension. And Meltzer would say he's one of at least two wrestlers whose pushes have stopped because of it. And it's likely a major contributing factor to his being dropped. I'm really fascinated by this because it feels like according to the rumor and innuendo that marijuana in the WWE has, well, it's been an interesting relationship between that plant and the corporate decisions, because we hear old timers talk about, they would partake after shows almost every night. We've heard people in the office. You and I have joked about chocolate cake here on the show. And and these days I, I understand that a lot of the guys, and this could be wrong or off base or, out of school, but it's a $2,500 fine. And some of those guys who just have it as a regular part of their lifestyle, just sort of budget that, Hey, I'm going to fail X number of tests this year. So, uh, if I think I'm going to fail three tests, I need to set aside 7,500 bucks, but I'm going to continue on my way. Meanwhile, LeBron Kendrick here gets cut for it. Is that just, does the marijuana use become an excuse to get rid of somebody?
1: It can be. Certainly it can be, uh, wouldn't be the way I prefer to operate personally. The, uh, I'm not a, you know, I, I you, you kind of got to go along with the laws and, and the public, uh, and the public opinion, court of public opinion, shall we say, uh, and that's kind of where we were. And then again, the company was so, uh, concerned, hence the, we talked about the MCs, the weekly MCs on raw. How do we ingratiate ourselves with a kinder, gentler image of being PG and not R rated, uh, all these steps are taken. And the last thing you want is to have a guy that, you know, has a propensity to use weed and that he or she, uh, could get arrested or busted. And then you got to deal with another little public relations nightmare. But your, your question is right on. I would tell you that even though I never thought that Brian Kendrick Spanky in his younger days would be a uh, main event level star, I never, ever inferred in my lifetime that the kid didn't have a lot of talent. It's just the fact that he was small. And at that time, uh, the company was not doing a lot was small, uh, as they much today, same as today for a lot of these guys. Uh, so it, that's where that worked. Well, you got, you, you make a good point. I just don't think on that level, uh, that you would need to use that as an excuse to, to get rid of somebody if you didn't have anything for them creatively. But Brian brought that on himself because he was told. And, uh, you know, it was unfortunate, but he's, he, he got back on track. I know that. And, oh, and but yeah, he's, yeah. A, he, he's a hell of a worker, man. He's a damn good talent. Uh, so, but Hey, growing up, it was the, that was his was part of that generation. But yeah, I, I was, that's kind of uncomfortable with that deal. You know, you could at least send him to some guys will go to rehab and some guys won't. Now, if you ask, you said, look, we're going to send you some counseling for a few weeks, take you off the road. We'll pay you. We're going to send you some counseling for a few weeks. And then you, that you do that because a, you you want to help the guy, but B, you want to see if he really wants to be helped. If he doesn't want to be helped and he's in denial, then you just answered all your questions. You got to go.
0: I feel like we should mention here that that's not the real reason he's given, but this is pretty funny. Uh, Mountsward, right? However, when Kendrick was told by Johnny Lauren, he was being let go, he was told it was due to the economy, which those who heard it couldn't believe. Uh, that he gave him such a lame and obviously bogus reason. And Kendrick was told here that it could have happened sooner, but Pat Patterson had spoken up for him in the past and Meltzer would sort of freestyle that his firing in regards to the marijuana is meant, uh, as a warning to the higher profile wrestlers who have been failing for marijuana. As the company has said many times to different wrestlers individually, they're no longer going to tolerate it. So Meltzer are sort of freestyling that perhaps they're just trying to make an example of maybe a lower tier guy to get the attention of the top of the card who are habitual offenders. But they know that if they say, Hey, we're firing you because of this, then maybe they open themselves up to a lawsuit. So they just blame the fucking economy. What a, <laughs> what a weird situation oh, wow. and, and decision this is in hindsight.
1: Yeah. The reason weak. I don't know why Lauren, I did that unless he was told to, uh, telling the economy was a week. I mean, come on. Uh, there, there, I didn't handle that deal. As you mentioned Lauren, I had taken my place, uh, by that time. Uh, but it's still, it could have been handled a, a, a lot better. Uh, and I'll tell you something. If Brian Kendrick had been a main event guy, uh, top the card type talent, it would, nobody's uh, con, the economy would never have been brought into in play. It's that it's just weak. And it's sad that the, that's, that's the damn part with this whole story is that he was given a real weak reason, but considering the source, it doesn't surprise me.
0: Meltzer would also report that, uh, Linda McMahon is expressed some interest in running as a Republican for the U S Senate. And at the time she's the CEO of a, a billion dollar publicly traded company here. When you first heard, hey, Linda might be getting into politics, is it around 09 or does it predate that? And if so, when did you first start hearing about maybe her political aspirations?
1: Linda was always benevolent and and got WWE involved in a lot of very viable charities under her watch. Always concerned about that. Uh, spent a lot of her own time and money on, on charities and things of that nature. So I wasn't totally shocked. But, uh, knowing that if she did run, gonna to have to, uh, disconnect from WWE to, to a large degree and, uh, it's going to cost a lot of money. Now the money they had, and they spent a lot of money on these elections, but I wasn't totally shocked. Uh, and quite frankly, as a voter in Connecticut, uh, I would have uh, been happy to see her elected because I felt like that she would be. What the offices are intended to be, Conrad, and that's to be a public servant and not a professional politician. I never envisioned her as a professional politician. Always more on the public service side, and that always flips my switch there because I believe that we have very few of those nowadays on either side of the, of the effing aisle. So, uh, but you know, I wasn't totally shocked, but because it, it, again, it's been whispered small conversations, casual conversations, better said probably that she finally pulled the trigger because it was going, it was going, that was then going to uh, mandate and create new decisions and new philosophies within the company. And, uh, so, but I thought she'd be a great uh, public servant. I really did. I thought about well, everybody in the family, uh, Linda's patience and her, her caring and her empathy for others was just spot on. And what we needed as a representative in the nutmeg state at that time.
0: Something else I wanted to bring up here is Lillian Garcia. Uh, She's going to be wrapping up here pretty soon. Uh, Her contract expires at the end of August. She's going to go get married and then not renew her contract. And uh, Meltzer would say it's likely her final appearance will be the August 24th raw in Las Vegas. I think it actually winds up being September 21st in little rock, Arkansas at that raw. And when she leaves, she pops back up occasionally to do, you know, the star-spangled banner and things like that. But then she comes back full time from 2011 to 2016, Lillian Garcia was a big part of the crew for a long time. Uh, what do you remember about her taking a sabbatical here?
1: Well, it was all of the guys are getting married and starting a family. And it's hard to start a family when you're on the road every week. Uh, especially when you're, if you're going to carry a child. Uh, travel every week might not be the most pleasant experience. So I, that was my understanding because to the best of my knowledge, Conrad, Lillian had no, uh, had no issues. You know, she certainly wasn't a drug and alcohol user whatsoever. Uh, she was reliable, big trait, as you know, uh, she had a great voice and she, she could sing the national anthem as good as anybody I've ever heard. So, uh, I think that's kind of where that went. I, I, you know, Lillian's got her own podcast now and doing some things and, we see her from time to time make an appearance, but she did a real nice job, a uh, great look, and uh, hence them, WWE bringing her back for another five year run was uh, good for her and and uh, good for those that were listening to her.
0: Also, wrapping up is Jeff Hardy. Um, Meltzer would say he's scheduled to be done by the end of next week. Hardy, as things stand right now, scheduled to work SummerSlam and probably one TV after. There are no plans in place as for when he will turn, but Hardy is telling everyone he expects to return and the timetable depends on whether or not his MTV reality show gets picked up. If the show is picked up, of course, it'll be a longer period before he's back, but if not, he could be back in early 2010. What do you remember about Jeff Hardy taking a break here?
1: We had several, uh, opportunities to deal with these issues with Jeff. Uh, I just think that. And looking back on it, you know, I, I, him and Matt were two of my favorite guys still are, um, uh, and I, I just believe in what they've done and, and the hard work and the sacrifices they've made and all these things. I mean, when you walk into a big time locker room, think of it this way, you walk into a locker room, in the NFL, everybody's got NFL gear and all these things, uh, and they all look uniform and so forth. Uh, and when Jeff Hardy got his gear on, it was it was gear he made on a sewing machine in his house, homemade wrestling attire. And luckily, these kids were so likable. I don't think anybody busted their balls too much on that fact, but the fact that it was noticed uh, should not be ignored. But I think Jeff just kind of he has so many interests, and maybe some habits that he probably should have managed better. Uh, honestly. But he just kept, he gets burned out and we should rush to realize that all of us should realize that, but he was such a valuable cog in what we were doing, you know, and, uh, he had, well, once he, we all believe that Jeff was magical in singles and thought he was going to be, could be very, very special in singles. Uh, and so st- I still think he had that, those legs, whether he has them today or not, it's another story. But, uh, at that time he certainly was viable to be, uh, another top main event, single guy. Uh, but you know, he just, the, the burnout would affect him and then he would alter his mind a little bit and might be drinking or whatever it may be. And so uh, it was a sad, it was sad, but I knew he'd be back because it was in his blood I just didn't know when. And we would have a place for him when he came back without a doubt, cause there's too much talent and he's likable as hell. That's Jeff, funny. he's likable as hell. So it's hard not to want to support the guy even to this very day.
0: Just as a heads up, he's coming into this as the world champion and he's in the main event. It's a tables, ladders, and chairs match. He's been in a big feud here with CM Punk and um, he even beat Punk at Night of Champions to get the belt. So they're sort of flip flopping the belt. And there's going to be a rematch from this SummerSlam show. That's going to be a steel cage match on SmackDown the following week. And there's a stipulation here that if Hardy loses, he has to leave the WWE and of course Hardy loses. And the storyline here is we're going to send him home to heal some injuries. He's got a neck injury. He's got a couple of herniated discs in his lower back and he's suffering from restless leg syndrome and his contract is coming to an end. But as we said, everyone really expected him to come back depending on whether or not his show was picked up perhaps as early as early 2010. But instead on January 4th, 2010, Jeff Hardy debuts. So this is when Eric Bischoff and Hulk Hogan have taken over the reins of TNA and and they want to go head to head on Monday night with Monday night raw with impact and on that debut show, just like Eric did with Lex Luger, a generation prior on nitro, Jeff Hardy shows up. Were you surprised when you saw that? Yeah. Hardy's back wrestling, but it's not for us.
1: Yeah, surprised uh, to some degree. Nothing really surprises me in wrestling because the, uh, I don't know, some of the business principles are lax. That may be an overstatement. Uh, it was a money grab for Jeff. I'm sure he got offered big money uh, by Dixie Carter and her family, and it was too good a deal to turn down. So instead of him being at home and healing and getting himself back together, he's back on the road back of that uh, – Dangerous environment. So, uh, I, I was, I wasn't disappointed that Jeff got work because that's a no brainer. How can he, and I wasn't surprised whatsoever. I just felt like for his own good, or, uh, he should be at home, uh, healing. As you said, Conrad, he has, he had a litany of injuries and he's not going to change his style. So he's going to be still taking those sensational bumps, putting his body at risk multiple times a night multiple nights a year so then it becomes inevitable that at some point the body's going to break down and on the path to breaking down we've got to do things to mask the pain and relax the muscles and all these type things and then if you have a beer or two of that stuff all of a sudden you're 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 in deep water when you don't need to be so i was a little surprised but happy got work but not happy with healing
0: let's talk about Somebody else's contract who's coming up and this one's going to be one that you can talk about really for the first time in a while. You wrote on your blog that your contract is due at the end of the year. And Meltzer says that everybody within the company has been talking about this for a while and you had been openly using phrases like vacation, uh, which is probably a foreign word to a wrestling announcer who's used to calling TV every week, but then in the observer, Meltzer would sort of lay out the whole bungled, trying to hire attempt by WWE and Vince McMahon of Mike Goldberg from the UFC back in 2005. And then they talked about where maybe they wanted to have you retire in 2007 with the idea that you're going into the hall of fame. That would be the big send off and Michael Cole would take over, but the crowd response was shocked and they felt like maybe there'd be some backlash. So they didn't do it. But then the next year. They moved you to SmackDown, which we've covered. You weren't really high on and Meltzer would categorize your relationship as being at times with Vince McMahon, a love hate relationship, but here it's probably neither love nor hate. It's just, it is what it is. And you wrote about that in your blog where you said that, you know, we will strike a mutually beneficial arrangement or we won't, it really will be that simple in my mind's eye. And this is the era where you have a couple of barbecue restaurants, you've got other stuff going, so even if you do retire from wrestling, you're not going to retire from working. How close did it come to you saying, you know what? I think I'm done. Or what were your conversations like with Vince during this time? Did you want to be done? Were you burnt out?
1: Oh no, I wasn't burnt out and I wasn't done, as evidenced by today that I'm, you know, still in the game with AEW and proud of it. Uh and but no, I wasn't done whatsoever. But look at some point in the entertainment business or in the broadcasting business of any entity, you know, your number is going to be called, uh, WWE puts a lot more emphasis on look and youth than they do talent and experience. But that's not unlike Hollywood. Jim Carrey told Lawler and I that the same thing, that same thing on the set of *Man the moon. Uh, so, uh, and he did it as Jim Carrey, not as Andy Kaufman, because he's the character of the whole movie. Uh, so, you know, I'm just waiting for uh, an offer, but knowing the offer is going to be, you know, uh, I, when I, when I, when Lauren I took over talent relations and I moved to uh, EVP of business strategies, which I still don't know what that meant all these years later, I had another big office making pretty good money and, and uh, but I was very lethargic. I didn't have anything to do. To speak of. I went from working every day to working hardly at all, it seemed like, in my mind's so eye. So I just, you know, you wait around but you know that the end is near. I knew that, I knew in 2007 the plan was, most of them had this wrong, uh, the plan was for Todd Grisham to take over on Raw on the fall of 2007. That's what Todd Grisham himself told me, that he had uh, been told by Kevin Dunn in a meeting they had, because I think Todd was young, looking for some other opportunities, want to make more money, and I think that the, the, it seems like the line of conversation was, "Hang in there, you know, uh, you're going to be taking JR's spot in, in the fall." And so, and, and when Todd and I became partners, like we were here at uh, SummerSlam 2009, uh, we rode together, and so we shared. He shared that story with me that he was going to be the next guy in 2007. So. I, 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 but I already knew there was a plan afloat to change. So there, there's where you, the, you have that little, a lousy place to be in your life type scenario. I know that my days are numbered, but I don't know how many days, but I don't know how many days I have left. I don't know how I'm going to be utilized. And then we end up seeing I get demoted to a number two guy, uh, behind a very, uh, young, uh, somewhat inexperienced, a very talented, uh, broadcaster at Todd Grisham. So I don't need to, I mean, I'm not that smart. I get it, but I could figure this out. So it was a lot of indecision, a lot of, uh, uh, you know, just didn't know where you were going next. So, uh, that's kind of where that worked. So I, I just didn't like the, I didn't like it then Conrad. It wasn't a good, it didn't, it wasn't. It didn't give me that uh, Eagles peaceful, easy feeling whatsoever. But you know, you gotta, you gotta deal with the hand that you're dealt. So I felt like my skills are still decent enough that I'm going to, I'm going to have work and I, and I had a lot of other suitors, but you know, I wanted to stay in WWE and finish up my run and with them. And I wasn't quite ready to do that. And of course it, it lasted 10 more years after that, quite frankly. So it's hard for me a bitch about it other than the way, the way it was handled was awkward, unprofessional, uh, and, uh, just kind of unnecessary.
0: When you, when you finally get the offer, is that something where you go to Vince's office and y'all talk about it or does see, have Lauren, do it. Or how does that work with you at this point?
1: Uh, Vince and I, Vince so, and I talk and Kevin done, uh, Kevin done a, a lot and Kevin would get his information with Vince. And then sometimes I'd sit with Vince and talk and, and, and it really wasn't about the money at that time. It's about what am I going to do? What am I going to be doing here? So that was kind of how that worked and
0: well, let's talk about that. I'm fascinated by this process at this point, after all your tenure there and all the, all the roles you've had and all the hats you've worn for the company, do you guys schedule a formal meeting or do you just catch up after a TV someday?
1: Uh, I normally, uh, I think we just I left it up to Kevin and Vince, you know, when they want to talk, I'm ready to talk they, we all knew it was coming to an end and they didn't want to get tor- toward at right the very end and have a great idea to use me, but I only got a, a month left to get, to get a deal done. So I kind of left that up to them and, uh, uh, I didn't know, I didn't know any other way to approach it. I didn't have an agent at that time or a manager, just me. And so I didn't have anybody running interference, if you will. So that was how that worked. It was, it's really a, uh, and I think today it's still kind of that way. It's still kind of a casual process. And the guys are smarter because they've gotten representation. So the representation can help them, uh, clear the way. I think every wrestler should have representation. I, uh, any, anybody that's negotiating their own deal, uh, play with fire. Just doesn't, you don't get, you don't get all you can get if you did it yourself. So, uh, it's just not a good deal. You don't want to negotiate money with your boss. You get somebody else to negotiate the money for you in our life, in our, our world here. So this casual It's more casual than you'd think. And there's not really a lot more to it than, you know, uh, knowing that I'm going to be repositioned, but when, where, and, uh, for how much cash and creative, I need, I need to know those answers.
0: So, I mean, do you, do you negotiate? Does he make an offer and you say, well, what about this? Or how does that work? I'm just fascinated no, I don't, by that. I don't,
1: you know, I don't really remember the, the machinations. It's a negotiation.
0: Right. But I guess that's my question is, I mean, are you guys, is it just, uh, what about he this? S- okay. Done. Or is there more of a back and forth for
1: days or weeks or hours no, or minutes? No, or? There, no, it's not a back and forth for days or weeks. Uh, they'll throw out a number. Here's what we're thinking about, uh, and then I have. You never want to make. I don't go in there and say I got to have a half a million dollars a year or right. whatever the number is. Right. You go in there and say I'm ready to negotiate. I want to stay. I want to work. So where are we? What can you pay me? What? Uh, what do you have budgeted for my role? but I I have to know what my role is is to see if I'm going to agree with what your budget is,
0: Gotcha.
1: which creates the process of negotiation. So that's kind of where that was, Connie. I, 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 it was more casual than you would think. Uh, and be honest with you. Uh, Vince always was, uh, fair in what he paid me and how he paid me now my issues with me being replaced and off the air and try this guy and try the, you know, try Joey styles and try Jonathan coachman or whomever the hell it may be. Uh, Mike Adamley. Uh, God, but well, so there's a lot of those things were not handled well, but I took it and I, it, I, it fell off. Of, it, it bounced off cause I think they knew that it would bounce off. Cause I, I all, all they were doing is putting me in a competitive situation. And when I'm in a competitive situation, I am I am more sharp, more focused, and at my best. When there's competition, looking right in the fucking eye, I like that. I like that whole feel. It makes me feel younger, uh, more aggressive, and uh, I I love that feeling, that adrenaline that it creates uh, for the from the process. But so they knew that I was there's no issues there. It's just a matter of you know is he going to take our offer money wise and be content with his role. And obviously I would never have a role ever again until the very end of my contract with WWE that, that even remotely compared to my, uh, money, Night raw, uh, role, none whatsoever. So that, that void was never filled. Never. Uh, but the monies was, you know, obviously I agreed with it. I signed it and I, I could have gone elsewhere, but the money was, was okay. And I was happy to get it. So. But it's a really casual process there. And again, I'm speculating totally on what they do today. Cause I'm not in that loop. I'm assuming triple H does most of the, uh, contract negotiations. Uh, so, and, and I think he was around a lot of us in those days. He should have a good feel for it. He's done a nice job with his team to solicit talent. And some of those guys he solicited will be battling us on, on Wednesday nights. And so it should be a fun competition.
0: Let's talk about SummerSlam. I can't believe we're finally here. Uh Beth Phoenix is gonna win a 15-woman battle royal in the dark match. Chavo Guerrero is the referee. It comes down to Phoenix, Maria, and Eve Torres, and after the match, all the women attack Guerrero. Hornswoggle oh. jumps in. Uh there's some shenanigans. Hornswoggle puts Mickey James on his shoulders, carries her around the ring, which is probably quite the visual. Uh and then our first match on the show. And we started off with a, a bang here. But before we talk about the first match, I guess we should talk about the open. Jr, you watched this show for the first time? Is this
1: ever? Of, yeah, ever. I was going
0: to say ever. Yeah. And and the opening is uh, a skit with DX. And I got to tell you, it was kind of weird. And 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 I know that the DX return was the thing, and clearly it was popular and sold a lot of merchandise. But especially in hindsight, now watching the DX get to open the show, I don't know, it just felt weird. What'd you think about the DX reunion and specifically the way they opened the show where they sort of are doing a video package and then they just stop it Hunter and Sean, and just sort of talk for a few minutes.
1: Uh, thought it was different. It had ample star power and the uh, DX was a, was a hot act. So all for all those reasons, that didn't strike me as being bad. It struck me as being extremely different uh, as how do you start a, a pay-per-view event. But the thing about that is that when they buy the pay-per-view, they mean the fans pronoun boy that, uh, uh, they're already in, they're not changing channels. They've already invested into the broadcast. So you have a little bit more leeway on a pay-per-view. Uh, just to try something a little different, maybe not the hot start that you would ideally like. Uh, so that was kind of where that was. I I don't think, uh, uh, I don't think it was a big, I didn't see it as a negative Conrad. It's just a different way to start a pay-per-view and you could do that on pay-per-view without losing your audience.
0: The, uh, the whole presentation is just a little different, um, with this entire pay-per-view and it's, it's fun to watch this back. If you haven't. Seen this in a long time? You need to open watch the opening skit because I guess we should mention here that DX, Shawn Michaels, and Triple H are going to be in a match with Ted DiBiase Jr. and Cody Rhodes. And so they're going to stop the video to sort of make fun of those two guys and to see, you know, given where we are now, Hunter having a little fun with Cody Rhodes. That's kind of interesting now, 10 years later, is it not?
1: Yeah, it is. It's unnecessary on both sides, both sides taking pot shots at each other's lame. It's weak. It's it's childish. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's all these years late and people don't forget stuff. You know, you don't want to burn any bridges in this crazy ass business. And we all of us have, unfortunately at times with some people, uh, I saw three guys, I think three that I, that I had to let go of WWE in, in the Charlotte. And they all sit down at my table and, and they were very friendly and, and quite frankly said, I wish I'd taken your advice. And, uh, but it was, it was cool that, because that's how you treat people, is how they're going to remember you. And even so I I could, the guy said, I couldn't get mad at you for firing me because everything you said was true and he gave me the answers and I didn't use them. So, uh, you, you still want to burn bridges and but it's a, it, but it said, it comes back to ego folks that's all ego. It don't sell any tickets. It don't increase any TV ratings. It doesn't do shit. It's all about ego. And how dare you challenge us? How dare you get in the same business we're in? You know, we've already got Coke. We don't need Pepsi or whatever. It's just silly, silly as hell.
0: The the whole presentation of this show is just a lot different. You know, the, the poster for the show and the graphics for the show are, are yellow and red with, with the black and white wrestlers, but it's instead of really focusing on, one performer, which historically in this era, the, the pay-per-view posters did, or instead of focusing on one match, which maybe they did a generation prior here, it's just like, Hey, here's all of our top guys. And John Cena of course is front and center, but so is Mysterio and Randy Orton and Shawn Michaels is there and triple H and Jericho. And so it is an interesting look at the way the marketing has changed. Did you feel like there was ever a real shift? Fundamentally in the way the company was promoting their business where maybe we're less about one performer, maybe we're less about Hulk Hogan and we're less about stone cold, Steve Austin or the rock. And now we're more about, Hey, it's WWE. And we've got all these guys.
1: Uh, ensemble cast. Yes. What it was. And, uh, it looked good on the poster you're referring to Conrad, without a doubt, but it's not the central focus. Uh, selling a pay-per-view pay-per-views are sold because of attractions, a certain match, like, uh, uh, WrestleMania was always either a launching pad. When the, that formula was in place or the blow off of something, uh, it was something special, uh, the, the a, a main event match. And on this show, it was hard to identify what was the main event. And obviously one would assume it'd be CM Punk and Jeff Hardy. That would be, that would be my pick of the litter, but that's not how it was because Jeff Hardy and CM Punk were not in total political favor in WWE at that point in time. And and some of the other guys that were getting on that poster and, and, and like DX opening the show had, uh, influence and they certainly made. They, 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 they maneuvered their way into essentially top of the card positioning. Uh, and, and look, I'm not saying DX is not, we're not bigger stars than CM punk and Jeff Hardy, but on that night, how could anybody say you're going to downgrade your title, your primary title, and you're going to, you're going to trump it with a bit, with a, with a skit from a returning, uh, a, a faction. It just didn't make any sense. So I, I uh, that, the ensemble cast thing, I've seen it used a few times. It looks nice. Some people, some marketers believe that that's the magic, uh, strength in numbers. Uh, I think wrestling fans, some of them will disagree with that, that it's that, it's that one or two great matches that I've got to see. I have to see it. And, of course, if you have to see one match, then you're going to watch the whole card, and you're going to buy the pay-per-view. So I'm a big believer that attractions – sell pay-per-views and not ensemble casts.
0: The first match here, when we get to the actual show, is Ray Mysterio out first with the intercontinental title, the champs out first and he's taking on Dolph Ziggler and they wrestled at the prior month's pay-per-view night of champions for the IC title and Mysterio won. Dolph then wins a fatal four-way against Mike Knox, Finley, and our truth together, t- another title shot. And they go 12 minutes and 26 seconds. Mysterio retains. Uh, the observer would give it three and three quarter stars. Uh, there are, believe it or not, a lot of fans cheering Ziggler here with Let's Go Ziggler chants. Uh, but then, of course, it's a dueling situation where the kids are all chanting Six One Nine. And man, I don't know that Mysterio could be over more with kids here. Uh, he was tremendous, and, and they're they're way behind him and. Uh this was a fun opener. I liked it. I think Ray Mysterio, if, if I had my druthers, he'd open every pay per view for the rest of time. That's never a bad match. This one's no different. What'd you think watching it back?
1: Enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Uh holds up, stands the test of time. Two really, really highly skilled individuals in Mysterio and Ziggler, who always ring movement, athleticism. Uh they're 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 motivated. So I, I like the message. Like you said, Conrad, it's you know, uh, that opening slot on a pay per view. Is crucial uh, to set the tone, and uh, you got a friend. And as for talents, they get that very fresh audience. I think that's pretty cool. So, uh, never going to be disappointed in a Rey Mysterio versus Dolph Ziggler match ever, even today.
0: We should mention four days after SummerSlam, it's announced that uh, Ray was going to be suspended for thirty days for violating the wellness policy. Uh, and he wound up losing the intercontinental title to John Morrison before he served the suspension man you guys are really cracking down on weed here, huh?
1: I guess uh they are uh you know i I was out of that loop I'm not being uh you know running from uh uh running from this issue uh but thank god that was I was out of that, so I didn't have to deal with that anymore um that would have been laurentis's uh following the mandates a the corporate uh but yeah they they were aware of it again trying to rehabilitate their image of, and that's why the word pro wrestling is considered in WWE land is kind of a negative because it it, it, it uh, harkened back to smoky arenas and, and, uh, you know, slovenly talents and all these things that the, the stereotype of being a wrestler. Uh, so, uh, but you know, the, uh, the, these two guys I thought had a great match. Uh, I liked, I liked it. It may have been as good a match. As it was on the show, quite frankly, but it was really entertaining. You should see that one folks. If you haven't seen it, Ziggler and Mysterio. I know you watched it a million times, but on this stage in LA, it was a, uh, both those guys were Southern California guys or California guys was certainly a, uh, a treat for me. And I think a lot of the fans
0: next up is Jack Swagger and MVP. Uh, they had started their feud with a verbal confrontation and that led MVP to challenge Swagger, but he declined saying he doesn't fight criminals, which of course is a reference to. MVP being locked up when he was a younger man. And they wind up wrestling on Raw on August 17th with Swagger getting the DQ. And then the match is set for SummerSlam. MVP is going to get the win here in six minutes and 22 seconds. Uh, Meltzer would say they're trying to push this as Swagger as the spoiled college uh, standout and MVP coming up as a uh, hardened ex con who had to f- fight his way to the good life. For whatever reason, the crowd's not into this and it really stands out. Even in swagger's entrance, I've always thought swagger had an incredible amateur background, his matches are good, but for whatever reason here, when he comes out, the crowd goes mild and I kind of feel bad for him when he's coming out and he's trying to show a lot of energy and a lot of fire and get everybody jazzed up and it's just falling flat. What was it about swagger here? That wasn't connecting. What was he missing?
1: Well, people didn't know who he was. Uh, they didn't understand the character. He wasn't positioned correctly. Uh, it was a fast paced, uh, there was not a series of vignettes. He didn't show me who he was out of the ring or anything. So, uh, he wasn't over bottom line. He wasn't over at that time and his presentation was not stellar. So, and he needed that sizzle. He was still acquiring sizzle. Now today, with this he's fighting for Bellator and all that stuff. He, he looks like a million bucks and he's become a much better showman than he was in that era. He's older. He's more mature. He's a father too. Uh, so he's, he's, his life is different than it was then. So, uh, he, but quite frankly and honestly, neither one of those guys are over and they're both excellent, ta- excellent talents without a doubt. They just weren't over and they're in that position to follow Ray and Ziggler. So and you saw the the results. It was. It should not have been a surprise that the match was that flat.
0: Let's talk about, uh, the celebrities who are in attendance here. Anytime you guys went to LA, there's always a bunch of celebrities. Um, we had uh, slash from guns and roses there. Tito Ortiz is here. Luke Perry was there. And that means you assume jungle boy was there too, which is kind of fun. Uh, they had Robert Patrick there who was, uh, uh, one of the bad guys in the John Cena movie. And then there is a bit of a embarrassing moment on the show. Nancy O'Dell comes out to plug her foundation that raises money for ALS and mm-hmm. the people boo her out of the building, uh, which is probably not the right time or place to do it, but it is wrestling. I guess it sort of is what it is. She interviews Freddie Prince Jr. And he's cutting a promo vowing revenge on Randy Orton. There's always an influx of celebrities here. Whenever you guys go to LA, what do you think of this showing? And, and particularly the, uh, we're booing charity here.
1: Yeah. Uh, embarrassing. That was at, sitting there, sitting at ringside with a plethora of other broadcasters. Uh, I was, I was embarrassed to be a wrestling fan. I can't say that it's happened in my life too many times, but on that forum for people to sink, to, to start detention, starved, uh, individuals that would boo a woman trying to raise money for her mother's uh, ailment that's going to kill her to me. was beyond explanation. It's totally embarrassed. And I hope I never have to experience anything like that ever again, where you have somebody that's talking from their heart on a real non wrestling issue. And that's all it was. We want the, we want wrestling. We want what we want. We paid our money. We bought, we've got our seats. We did this, we did that. And I want wrestling. Give it to me now. Like a defiant little child. And a lot of it just to be uh, 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 paid attention to. And so that's kind of what it was. I was embarrassed by that whole thing. But overall, the celebrities were pretty impressive. I mean, as far as an eclectic group of individuals. I remember Jan and I walking to our car when our ride back to the hotel, car service back to the hotel. And uh, we walked out of the uh, Staples Center uh, down underneath there with the uh, Slash. I thought my wife was going to leave me. <laughs> she, I didn't realize my, my little bride was a big Slash fan. So I think there was pictures taken, and he was a big fan of my work. And of course, my wife was sitting there in awe because she was a Slash fan. So uh, fun little memories like that are kind of cool. But it was a the, the, the WWE always does a nice job. Uh, when they're in LA, they have represent. they have an office in LA as we know, and so they got a lot of business contacts there and that's why they put an office in LA, same reason. I had summer there so many years in a row to cultivate the market from a marketing and promotional standpoint. In other words, they're looking for new money and there was new money in LA and they went there to pick it up. They've in WWE.
0: Let's talk, uh, about the next match here. It's going to be Jericho and big show. Taken on Crime Time on the July 27th Raw, Jericho and Show at a confrontation with Shaquille O'Neal, and after the two refused to get into a fight with him, O'Neal schedules them to wrestle Crime Time later that night, with O'Neal acting as the match's ringside enforcer. Of course, Jericho and Show are dehued in that match, and then on July 20 or July 31st on SmackDown, Crime Time beats the Hart Dynasty, Tyson Kidd, and David Hart Smith to become Jericho and Show's opponents at SummerSlam. I don't know when we'll talk about them again. Why didn't the heart dynasty? Why wasn't it more of a hit? Do you think
1: probably be pointed to a, uh, uh, need for more charisma, more personality. My goodness. Uh, these two kids were great workers and they're like teenagers before they ever earned a paycheck. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, I think, uh, now he calls himself Debbie Boy Smith jr. But Harry's a. Harry Smith is an amazing prospect, but you know, his issues have always been, and we talked about him a lot because I was high on him in WWE and you know, I wanted to, you know, I thought we had something there, but he's, he has to continue to develop his personality because he's got, he's got such great physical uh, attributes. The personality might've been lacking, but, uh, Tyson was just a f- f- frigging phenomenal performer, absolutely. He could do everything, but you know, the injuries caught up with him, unfortunately. But I, I had I had high hopes for those guys. But I think the general consensus within Creative is that they were not making the Creative look better. <laughs> and I think some of the guys in Creative were a little bit leery that their their material was not being delivered as it was written. And so that the personality side of it was probably the issue. It certainly wasn't their their out of ring habits or, or their unprofessionalism or, or being late for shows all the time or being, you know, uncooperative. It wasn't that whatsoever. I just think it was a personality disconnect that uh, did not allow them to connect as well as they would both have liked for, probably, uh, to the audience.
0: Well, let me ask, you know, with, with him being a legacy superstar and, and Tyson Kidd now being sort of part of the office for the company, what, why don't you think Davy boy Smith is there?
1: I don't know, Connor. That's a great question. I, I wish I knew the answer to that. Uh, you know, it's the same thing that I've heard people talk about, t- uh, Tessa Blanchard, who I think is nothing short of incredible, is that, you know, she at times allegedly has been hard to do business with. I don't know that to be exactly true because I've never done business with her. I've known her since she was a little kid. uh, And I'm a big supporter of her work. Uh, But I think there's just those those lingering issues to where you mean we might have to communicate with this talent? You mean we might have to really mentor and coach this talent up? Uh, Yeah, that's what I mean. Nobody's going to come here tailor-made. and if, uh, So I'm only thinking that Harry's issues have got to be something non-wrestling-wise. And so he's either said something to somebody or done something to somebody uh, that didn't go down. Look, he's a big, strong guy. And sometimes uh, talents are leery of working with big, strong guys that are very, very aggressive. And Harry Smith is that. So I don't know the exact reason. I just got to believe it's a non bell to bell reason, uh, for Harry. And if that's the case, uh, that's something that Harry and whomever is trying to hire him need to work on because he's a real good talent. You just don't want to, well, it's a problem. I don't handle that. I don't, I don't deal with that. Well, but I don't like that philosophy. I, I don't want to deal with that Conrad. I don't want to deal with, you know, it's stupid. Uh, it's, it's big picture stuff, man. If this guy's good and he can help you. You figure something out, you figure out how to make it work. And I don't know that the efforts on anybody's behalf. Uh, is making that happen with Harry Smith right now.
0: We brought up, uh, Shaquille O'Neal. Uh, he's obviously a big wrestling fan and there's been ideas flirted around with him for years. Uh, what was your interaction like with Shaq?
1: Loved it. Loved it. He's a big kid, uh, friendly, outgoing. I remember, uh, meeting him and I introduced myself. Uh, he said, I said, I'm Jim Ross. Uh, Shaq. Great to meet you. And he said, oh, I know who you are. I know who you are. So he said, I've been watching you for my entire life which made me feel old, uh, but real nice guy, genuine, big kid, a, a legit wrestling fan. Uh, is and he doesn't shy away from being known as a wrestling fan. Like many of his Hollywood peers, uh, with a pro wrestling bias. Uh, he didn't fat shame wrestling fans. He embraces them. So I liked working with him. You know, I'm hoping that this fall, uh, or sometime in, in this season that, uh, I get an invite to the TNT uh, NBA uh, show with Shaq and Charles Barkley and Kenny Smith and Ernie J- Ernie Johnson because uh, I'm a big fan of the show, and uh, we're all the same family now. Because AEW is going to be, be featured on Wednesday nights in Primetime and NBA is going to be featured on TNT on Tuesdays and Thursday nights prime time. So uh, we got a little brotherhood there going, and. But I'd love to do something with those guys. But well, Shaq's a good guy, Conrad. You, if you haven't met him, you'd love to meet him at some point in time. He's, he's our kind of guy. He really is.
0: Well, FYI, uh, if that whole TNT thing goes down, uh, I'm scooting over. It's like a three hour ride for me and he's my favorite sports celebrity ever. And I never met him. So I'm in.
1: Okay, good, good.
0: Let's talk about, uh, the next match though. The one he set up, uh, Chris Jericho and big show on one side crime time on the other, uh, they're going to go, uh, nine minutes, 42 seconds to retain the tag titles. Uh, So Jericho and big show pick up the win, and it gets two and three quarter stars, not a bad match, sort of was what it was. Uh, what'd you think of the match? And, uh, I guess this is the first time you've seen it in 10 years, huh?
1: Yeah. It served its purpose. It served its purpose that it showed me a couple of things, the greatness of Chris Jericho, uh, the untapped, uh, potential of big show that was really never realized in WWE in my view, because he was overexposed in the majority of his career. Uh, and not being the giant status, attraction status. Uh, I always thought that Crime Time had an upside, uh, but it seemed like, you know, they, they, were div- they were very intelligent and diverse guys. They had other interests other than pro wrestling, and I think that may have bit them in the ass a little bit by some uh, WWE people, but they had a good, solid upside. They're just uh, two hardworking kids. I still like them, I uh, see them every now and then, you know, things like we went to in Charlotte and so forth. Uh, But I thought that they were – that was some fruit, low-hanging fruit that wasn't picked that could have been a lot better. But the match was okay. It filled its purpose, but it did show – if you look at it back, folks, the captain of that – the guy that ramrodded that match, by and large, was Jericho. Right. And so it just shows you his ability to strategize and plan. So the match did what it was supposed to do. Didn't offend me. You know, two and three-quarter stars is what it was. That's the Meltzer's opinion, which is fine. Uh, but it might've been a little bit better than that, but it was a solid match, no doubt.
0: Let's talk a little bit about, um, this pairing of, of Jericho and big show. what do you think of them as a tag team? It's sort of an interesting idea.
1: Absolutely. Very interesting. And I thought that, uh, Jericho's athleticism and, and, uh, all that stuff was a good motivator for show for big show, uh, Jericho was a great influence on the big show as far as psychologically, uh how to the psychological aspects of, of conducting a match and so forth. Uh but it was unique. They had a unique look. And putting Big Show out there with anybody is going to create a unique look because of him. And then Jericho, not being six feet tall, uh, and and he looked big show looked even more imposing. It looked good on a poster, so to speak. Uh, you know, the match are always going to be solid because both those guys could work with anybody. Uh, and, uh, so I, I didn't dislike it at all. I, I, I was really interested when I first heard they were going to do that, but I didn't think it would be long term. You know, folks, there's a way of booking. You can book vertically. You can book horizontally. And when you put two guys of their nature, their status in a tag team, you're basically booking them horizontally. They're together. It's not a. It's not, it's not vertical. Vertical is, yeah, two. So in other words, you got two great stars in Jericho and Big Show. They can take, they can do one match on the show. That's horizontal booking. They're here. There's, they're pigeonhole. They're in this slot. If you put them in singles, now you got two matches that could be on your card of two big stars. I thought the latter would probably would happen quicker than later because Big Show and Jericho were both two valuable single talents. To have them put into a long term situation as a tag team. But I thought while they were together, they were very entertaining.
0: Well, I'll tell you what's not entertaining. That's our next match. It's great, Kali and Kane. Uh, these guys wrestled WrestleMania 23 back in 2007, not too long after Kali first came in. Uh, of course, Kali gets that win by pinfall. And then on the August 7th episode of SmackDown, Kane would attack Kali from behind before kidnapping his translator. And the next week it was revealed that Kane was holding him hostage backstage, beating him up. Kali found him and then Kane beats up Kali. And here we go. We've got the match set. They go five minutes, 56 seconds. Meltzer would write, you know, things are bad when before the match even starts, Jim Ross makes a reference to bowling shoes. In this case, it was Dick Weber's bowling shoes, which would only mean the shoes are not only old. But the guy in the shoes passed away four years ago. Crowd was dead. I mean, there is an excuse to put exceedingly crappy matches on pay-per-view if both guys are over and fans want to see the match, but when fans don't even want to see it, it's like, why waste the time? The most entertaining thing was a, you can't wrestle sign visible on camera. That was likely confiscated. Worst brawling ever. Kane survived the deadly Collie chop finished sauce Singh. now Collie's brother, um, Holly saved him, but in doing so, Kane used a drop kick to the knee, followed by a DDT for the pin. And uh, by any other comparison, this was awful. You would hope this would end the program, but on television, they continued it. Negative one star. Meltzer, in a word, hated it.
1: Well, the uh can't say as I disagree with Dave. I don't know if he's knocking me for using a Dick Weber reference or not, if I actually did the Dick Weber. Basically, I was getting to my. Uh, bowling shoe, ugly match. It didn't take a uh, Einstein or, uh, or a Dave Meltzer to figure out that before this match started, it was, it was not going to be great.
0: <laughs> well, here's my question. And I'm not saying this to be funny. If you know the match, isn't going to be good.
1: Why are, why are you doing it? Uh,
0: man? I wish somebody was booking sober here because this is some drunk booking, putting Kane and great Kylie <laughs> on pay-per-view.
1: Yeah, it was not good. I, you just try to get through it, you know, and, and it could have gone shorter. I've been happy. But it's just here's a difference. People said that I had a question the other day on a show I did about the difference in a booker and a rider. Well, there are two different roles. A booker would have looked at this match and said, uh, We'll never do that one again. We're done. That was not said. This was the booker. That's what Vince in hindsight should probably have said, maybe he wanted to say, but partly with the, with the lobbyists within that organization known as writers in some eras, were, uh, fighting for their cause because somebody had the idea that this could be almost like Hogan and Andre, the two giant guys, big men, you know, and all this stuff. It wasn't.
0: Well, next up, and this is going to be a fun one to talk about. It's probably the real main event of the show. It's Shawn Michaels and Triple H on one side, Ted DiBiase and Cody Rhodes on the other. On Raw, Triple H had failed to win a beat the clock challenge to face Randy Orton in a match with uh, Rhodes when DiBiase distracted him and time ran out. The next week, Triple H wrestled them in a handicap match and loses. And then Triple H said he's going to find a partner, hinting throughout the show that he's trying to reform DX with Shawn Michaels. The following week, he convinces Shawn Michaels, who was working as a chef at a corporate cafeteria to quit his job and return at SummerSlam to face DeBiase and Rhodes. What do you think of that creative? Uh, Hey, we're going to get Sean out of retirement and we're going to have a story where he is a corporate chef.
1: I, you know, when I read this. These are notes. I, I could not connect by my memory that Sean Michaels was ever a corporate chef. I don't know where that came from. honestly don't. I don't know this very day. Somebody will probably has a better understanding of that than I, but I didn't, I didn't, that didn't relate to me. Here's what all I knew. I knew I would worked work my ass off back in the day to get Shawn Michaels to come back to WWE, uh, and because he had unfinished business. And I said to him, as I told him the show, this is not the legacy you want to leave it with. You got more to write, you got more to do, and you can help us whether you're in the ring or not. And of course he's a performer, Sean, one of the greatest of all time. Some say he's in the, in the, in the flair category. I'm going to argue that fact, that fact, Rick will always be my number one guy because of his tenure, but, uh, and, and I love him and I, I've called some of his matches that I have a kinship with Rick, but, uh, Shawn Michaels is right there in that same argument. So to me getting Sean Michaels back on television, I don't care what job he allegedly had or didn't have was, uh. Um, an amazing get for us.
0: Well, now the, the, the corporate chef thing is a funny ha ha. I mean, you, you understand that's just a gimmick. Like, it, at the, yeah, I, yeah, at the start of the show, they get, they joked that he used to be a TV repair man too, but this is so silly. Yeah. <laughs> he was well, a corporate they, chef.
1: Yeah, it was silly. And, but that's what you got sometimes. And, uh, a lot of guys, here's a good example. Number one, this match followed Kali and Kane. Do you not think that Sean and Hunter didn't have an awareness that the, that the Kali Kane match probably was not going to be the proverbial barn burner that we needed or wanted. Sure. Or, or did we want that at all? So they had to follow re- literally nothing hot. That makes their deal better. Uh, look at how the entrance is done. All the props utilized on the entrance. Uh, you know, uh, just, they, they were smart. Hunter and Sean were looking out for Hunter and Sean, which is what a lot of guys should be doing today and have a say in their creative and the direction of their t- or their TV persona. The ups, the, the, the thing that Sean and Hunter had going for them was a, uh, Hunter's relationship with Vince was very unique. You now the, the, uh, the relationship with Stephanie was very unique and Vince loves Sean. And he thought Sean reminded Vince of Vince when he was young, and so not from an athletic standpoint, obviously, but just from a spirit and a free spirit uh, way of thinking. So they had influence and they used it. So anybody that's been getting mad at those cats for do, for using their influence, uh, probably want to rethink that a little bit because they're independent contractors or entrepreneurs, and they use that positioning and their influence to better their cause. Good for them. <clears throat> Sorry.
0: So the Which, entrance you're talking about, a Humvee and a tank. That's, that's a pretty big deal.
1: Yeah, it was, that's what I say. It was expensive. It was ostentatious. It was certainly memorable. And so, and they, they mean Sean and Hunter knew that they had a good chance of getting this thing passed. If they liked it. They thought they could make Vince like it, and they did. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but they're very strategic. And some fans are going to say, "Well, they they held down the young guys. You know, Cody and and uh, Deviazi Jr. should have had a better uh, better treatment, better presentation." And you might be right, folks, but you got to understand that it's a competitive world there. And uh, I, I just think that Hunter and Sean seize the moment. To, 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 better their situation. And again, it's the same thing I encourage all wrestlers to do. Don't come to work with no ideas. Don't, don't come to work with your tail between your legs, uh, where you don't want to make any ways. I don't want to say anything. I might lose my job. I don't want to say anything. So by God, you got no confidence in yourself whatsoever. Do you, you might not be as good as you think you are, or maybe you're not as good as you think you are, but the country don't know that yet. Come on, man, contribute, call a player to get in the game. And Hunter and Sean got in the game and they made an impact, and quite frankly, was one of the more popular segments of the entire pay-per-view.
0: Yeah, this uh match is a good match, too. Three and a half stars. They go 19 minutes, 59 seconds. Of course, Cody takes a pedigree and then a super kick, and that's a wrap. Sean pins Cody here. Pretty good match. And yep. uh, Meltzer would say that it was very similar to the 96 WrestleMania where The actual main event was Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart, and they're going to have a classic match, but really the live crowd is there to see the ultimate warrior, and he says that really the live crowd is here to see this match, and allegedly it was even discussed, according to Meltzer, that this match was the original main event, and they made a change. Uh, Can you speak to whether or not this would have been or should have been or was discussed as being the main event?
1: Yeah, it was discussed and, uh, strong consideration but Again, because DX was that strong, a, a, a entity, but, uh, you know, this goes back then to his old wrestling promoter logic that he still had. And, and that would be, you gotta, you gotta take care of your title. I'm a big, uh, I'm not, I'm not a big believer that, uh, on a major show like a WrestleMania. Uh, I believe you got to protect your championships, meaning that a championship match should close the show. A well built, long arcing storyline involving a title should be uh, featured as your go home, final, final, good night, everybody, match. Uh, and I know there's been a situation where that's not been the case, but I'm not a big proponent of that. Put, it, it's like having a star attraction, uh, you, you make the talents following it work harder. And they're main eventers. So if there are main eventers legit, and you got to follow an attraction like DX, in this case we're discussing, you got to be able to carry your share of the water and or that's that's why you're in a main event position. You're expected to deliver no matter what precedes you. So I kind of look, I like that the competitive aspect of that, that philosophy. But if, if, if the titles were not, uh, in the play then DX headlining that show and closing the show would have been just fine. But because of the uh, other circumstances involving titles, uh, then I, I, uh, like where it was and it's just up to everybody else that follows it to deliver. Quite frankly, either can, or you can't. Well,
0: what's up next is something that's going to have, uh, well, a few people talking Christian is going to retain the ECW title, beating William Regal in eight seconds. Uh, these guys are given time two days later to do a match on ECW and they do, but an eight second title win here. I mean, are we out of time? Is that what happens here? Did something go long? Why would this just be eight seconds? Why even, I mean, on paper, when you hear Christian and William Regal, you think, well, damn, that's going to be a really good match. And then Mm -hmm. we get eight seconds.
1: Yeah. Uh, Christian and Regal will, no doubt would have had a great match if they had time. Uh, but again, with. How would they do following DX? How would they do following Kane and, and, uh, and Kali and then DX and then them It's it's is awkward positioning match order wise, in my, in my opinion. Uh, and here's the other thing about that. The match goes eight seconds. Christian goes over with his finish. And then after the match, you got calamity. So the baby face getting that quick win and dodging bullets and getting the hell out of there, which would have been logical, uh, did not happen. And so the eight-second victory that Christian earned over a very talented guy in Regal didn't mean a hell of a lot because the last thing I remember was Christian being gut and quartered uh, by Ezekiel Jackson and uh, Vladimir Kozlov. And then Regal got his piece of business in with Christian. So at the end, Christian gets beat up by three guys. That's my focal point. That's my focus on this match. And uh it had nothing to do. So then his eight second win largely was forgotten. Which brings me back to this point. Why the hell had the match in the first place?
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people were thinking that. Uh the next match is for the WWE title. It's Randy Orton defending against John Cena. Cena earned a title match by winning the Beat the Clock Challenge involving Triple H, MVP, Mark Henry, and Jack Swagger. They get a lot of time 20 minutes and 44 seconds. Ultimately, Randy Orton retains in what is called an overbooked mess of a match. Uh, as a reminder, we've got uh, this is the era where some of the Cena stuff started to go sideways. Every other time I think Cena's been in LA, he's been heavily cheered. Here, he is heavily booed. But he still has his fans. So there's dueling chance again. Let's go, Cena. Let's go, Orton. But really kind of a crazy finish because we've got three restarts. There is a disqualification where Orton shoves Scott Armstrong, gets dehued hued and Lillian Lily Garcia announces the winner and new champion, Randy Orton. Oops. Uh, yeah. He's already the champion and um, he lost by de So they restart it. They go for a couple of minutes and eventually uh, Orton gets counted out. And this time Garcia announces that Vince had seen a one by countout, but he's still champion. And now they restart it again, this time RKO in a pin. And Meltzer would say the finish pretty much ruined the match. One restart always works, two usually works. At three, you've turned it into a clown show. And they did four here. Obviously, the idea was to build an I quit match. Uh, but nothing here really did that. What'd you think overbooked mess? Was that, was that sum it up?
1: Yeah, pretty much overbooked mess is a good way to put it. Uh, the talents deserve better. Uh, and you know, it's the irony of that is that, uh, John and Randy were two of my, probably one of my best classes our best classes to sign and send to OVW along with Lesnar, and Batista and Shelton Benjamin. Uh, so those guys have been teammates since they were recruited. And putting O V W. So had a good history there. No reason they couldn't have had a great match. Uh and it just wasn't with all those restarts. I never understood the logic of it. It it didn't get over. And I felt bad for John and Randy because they deserved better. And quite frankly, folks, the title deserved better. And that's when the, the you notice the WWE title, the centerpiece in the entire company for decades, was not the closer. That was the world title created in, uh, for this, another, to have somebody else be a champion, to have another title, uh, it waters it down too many titles, make very few of them mean anything. So I thought I felt badly for the talent because it was a, that was a big deal. These dudes, you know, they, they're in a main event at summer slams, a huge event and just, I don't know. I can't speak for Randy or John Cena, but I just believe probably they're both still One of those things. If they do think about it, it's not in—it's not in very positive terms. Just didn't. The creative was bad. The creative betrayed two of the big stars in the company, who are going to be Hall of Fame guys without a doubt. But the creative failed them on that one. It just didn't work. And it's the same old deal, man. Well, we hey, let's do another restart. Yeah, yeah. Cause nobody's got a better idea. It's embarrassing and it's bad. Uh, Next up is our main event.
0: And uh, it's for the world title. Jeff Hardy's going to be defending against CM Punk in a TLC match. And they wrestled at the two prior pay per views, both the Bash and the Night of the Champions. At Bash, Punk is the champion and Jeff wins by DQ. At Night of the Champions, Jeff beats Punk to win the title. And uh, here we go. We've got 19 minutes and 40 seconds. And uh, as the crowd is starting to get into it, they're already chanting for We Want Tables. And uh, these guys are pulling out all the stops here. Uh, EMTs and trainers are coming out after Punk is laid out on an announcer's table. Hardy climbs up a 15 foot high ladder for uh, the Swanton. Uh, there's some uh, multiple chair shots. They're teasing the idea that this could be over. They even have Hardy on a stretcher wearing a neck brace. He gets up off the stretcher, takes off the neck brace. They're both climbing the ladder, and uh, Punk punches Hardy off and grabs the title belt, and he's your winner. And after the match undertaker comes from under the ring to choke slam CM punk and in the show. And, uh, I guess uh, Meltzer would say as for the match, they didn't do as many knocking off the ladder spots or anything like the teeter tighter spot. That's in, uh, every single ladder match. And he would categorize. This as not an all time classic ladder match, but still an excellent main event to cap off the show. He says it's the best match on the show. Gives it four and a quarter stars. So it is a, a big deal for punk and, and well, I guess specifically punk to be in the last match because Jeff Hardy's not long for this world, but for him to be in the last match, winning the world title in a TLC match and having the undertaker come from under the ring, it has to feel like a vote of confidence in CM punk from WWE. What'd you think of the match and the way it was booked?
1: Uh, I love the match. Uh, I, these guys had had the opportunity to develop some great chemistry, uh, both free spirits, free-thinking individuals, and I—I I would hope, looking back on it, that uh, both had the opportunity to add to the content of their matches with their own touches, their own creativity. Uh, knowing both those guys, I'm sure that they did, and they utilized that opportunity. But I thought the match delivered big time. You know, uh, for Dave Meltzer to give it uh, uh, four and a quarter stars is a uh, uh, pretty good testament that it's. Was widely accepted as a hit, uh, like the finish a lot. You, here's a crazy thing, folks. I, you know, I don't know what this means to you, to, but it's just funny to me. I, have called so many wrestling matches, so many big moments, been so lucky right place, right time type deal. I had forgotten that as I'm watching the show, uh, like a fan, I had forgotten the undertaker's appearance at the end. And so it, oh, hell look at this. I, I called it, I was there, but I'd forgotten. Taker came out in that, uh, deal. You were talking, you know, 11 years ago, 12 years ago, 10, so whatever, 10, whatever it is. yeah. <laughs> well, whatever. That's what I'm saying. Time, time flies, you know, the, our lives continue to evolve. And so these wrestling stories kind of stay where they were. Right. But I'd, I'd forgotten. Taker was involved in that, but I loved it. What a way to end the show. Yeah. You got it. The only, here's the only thing. Some people that like to bitch. And like to be a contrarian. Well, Dick will work their ass off to say, well, but here, wait a minute. No, no punk didn't get time to celebrate. It took part of punk's moment away, blah, blah, blah. You can say that and make a tepid, somewhat tepid argument, I suppose. But what marrying undertaker to see him, punk going off the air at SummerSlam, how in the hell can you look at that anyway, with a positive cause now punk is not only your world champion. He's set up now with a, with a program with the, the legendary undertaker, I'd say that's pretty good treatment in my view.
0: Yeah. I, uh, I gotta tell you, this is weird to watch now, uh, 10 years later, because of all the stuff that's happening in wrestling right now, of course, but specifically to realize this is Jeff Hardy's last match in the WWE until, uh, our last pay-per-view match rather until he returns. Uh, for WrestleMania 33, in 2017. So just a couple of years ago as the surprise return. The Hardy boys come back in that multi-man tag match where the new day were sort of the hosts of the show. This is it for him on pay-per-view. And of course we talked earlier about him trying to get a reality show picked up by MTV. Well, the following week Meltzer would report Jeff Hardy assigned a deal with Fox 21 studios for his reality show. I don't know that anything is official, but we do know he's crossing his fingers that his show gets picked up on Fox as opposed to MTV. And the hope is he will expand his fan base while being off television and build for a big return. After Jeff's final night in Phoenix, where he lost the loser must retire match or whatever the stipulation was in that cage match with Punk, Matt Hardy threw him a huge farewell party with several of the female performers and, of course, uh, Hurricane Helms and the company is trying to now get a Jeff Hardy DVD out as quickly as possible. And Matt notes after Jeff finished up, he had been wrestling with two herniated discs in his lower back and suffering from restless leg syndrome, which made it very difficult for him to sleep. And of course he has nagging neck injuries and he's excited to get a little time to heal. Now you're probably wondering, uh, well, what happened to that TV show? Well, a little, too, a little over two weeks after this match, Jeff was arrested and charged with trafficking and controlled prescription pills as well as possession of anabolic steroids. A search of his home found an inordinate amount of drugs, including Vicodin, Soma steroids, and even cocaine. He would later plead guilty and serve 10 days in jail in 2011. So all these big plans for a reality show and a big return, and let's take some time off to get healed up. Uh, life threw him a curveball here. Uh, were you surprised when you heard of his, uh, run-ins with the law here.
1: Uh, yeah, mildly though, to that extreme. Didn't know he was that deep into it, quite honestly. Uh, you know, a lot of friendly doctors on the, on the road, which was never a good thing all the way back to Dr. Saharian uh, days there, or he's providing allegedly providing drugs to talents and steroids or growth hormone or where they hell they wanted, uh, but these guys are on the road, so it's the same old deal. They're going to come back and tell you, hey, we're on the road all the time. We worked we work hurt. In the old days, if you didn't work, you didn't get paid. Right. That's not the case with these guys. you got a contract now. And if you get injured, you're going to get paid. Uh, I remember having a conversation in Atlanta, a very emotional conversation with Chris Benoit about his neck injury. And I remember him saying, we had two options. We could go through the front of the neck and take him. He'd be gone about a year, or he could work on the, go through the backside of his neck and he'd be back in, you know, in a much shorter time. But the latter, the, the back of the neck was not a full-time fix. He was going to have to be fixed again. And so, uh, I made the decision for him. He didn't know what to do. And what he was concerned about was getting paid. And I said, you have a contract. We've made a commitment to you. Uh, and the re- re- commitment has to be reciprocal, and it has been. So what I'm going to do is make the decision. We're going to do the surgery through the front, and you're going to be off a year. And every week you're going to get your check. And man, he gave me the strongest hug, and because he, he that's what he was worried about getting paid. And so I think these guys, uh, you know, Jeff working hurt was partly by necessity. But quite frankly, as much as I love the kid still do, a part of it was his, uh, dependence on, on these substances. He was having a hard time winning that battle. He couldn't swanton his way out of an issue of these damn opiates and stuff. So, uh, I was a little surprised from the standpoint it was as much volume as it was. I never saw him as a steroid guy. I was wrong. Uh, I was also surprised there was no marijuana involved in this search. <laughs> well, it was because it was cheap. Right. If all the shit he's taken, uh, you know, you can buy marijuana from one of your buddies at a, you know, at their drugstore or whatever. Uh, that's a bad, bad analogy, but you know what I mean? So I say but,
0: what drugstores are you going to? We need them as a sponsor <laughs> here on the show.
1: Uh, so yeah, I, I I've always, I've always felt bad about him because I just think that sometimes he has that dependent personality, uh, and he, sometimes I don't think he knows. He, he's not steering the car like he would like to, directing his life, and then I see he gets arrested here a while back. That's another challenging situation. Somewhere along the way, and I, I had this same conversation with Jeff. Uh, we we were going we're, I wanted to send him to rehab. He was too proud in his own words to go to rehab. I can't do it. I just can't do it. So the denial was very, very from very strong. He should have gotten rehab. And I think that fact has been proven here lately. He still has some issues that he's got to deal with.
0: Let's, uh, let's talk about some questions. We, we took to social media to see if you guys had some questions for Jr and you can participate in this conversation every week, follow us on Twitter. If you haven't already, it's at Jr grilling that's at Jr grilling. And, uh, if you've got a question about what's coming up, which of course we know next week is going to be all about CM Punk, then by all means, ask us a question, look for us there on social media and hit us up. Uh, here we go. We'll do these rapid fire. Jim. Are you ready? Yes, sir. Uh, MT Booble wants to know in your opinion, who had a better overall run in the WWE, Jeff Hardy or CM Punk?
1: Hmm. Good question. I would say, uh. Jeff Hardy, because of the tenure, the, 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 number of years he was there, uh, at a pretty high level, but certainly that doesn't d- discount CM punk's uh, run, which is very, very impressive, very unlikely. And, uh, very successful, but I think just Jeff would be my answer because of the number of years he was actually in WWE, uh, before departing.
0: Bunger Allen writes, given that other superstars got to create their own signature belts, like John Cena with the spinner, Austin with the smoking skull. Was there ever any consideration to letting Jeff Hardy create his own belt? I feel like those would have sold a bunch with, uh, all ages since he's so over. Now, of course we know that happened in TNA, but I kind of tend to agree. WWE probably could have been printing money with a Jeff Hardy belt.
1: Agreed. Yeah, no doubt about it. But backing it up, I would never have allowed Cena or Austin to, do do that deal. That would have been a merchandise prop, uh, and wouldn't would not have had a shelf life on television. I just felt like it I just felt like it took away from the, the cheapen, credibility. Yeah, chief yeah, the title. Chief in the title just made it a gimmick. And I don't know that I, I wanted my number one title or number two title for that matter, looked at as a gimmick. So I'm not a big fan. I hate Steve did well to smoking skull belt, I'm sure. Cena's had that spinner thing. It just seemed too gimmicky to me, especially the spinner belt. Uh, so I would have gone there to start with, but you're right. Just as far as a money making source of creating new cash, uh, a Jeff Hardy title belt would have probably done very well.
0: Andrew wants to know why was The Undertaker the next opponent for CM Punk after this pay per view? No doubt they had great matches together. But it felt like their next feud could have been or should have been CM Punk versus Matt Hardy. That's a good idea. What say you, Jim?
1: I think if you ask if you ask uh, CM Punk, you would say, "Do you want to work with Matt Hardy or the Undertaker?"
0: Right. There you go. Pretty,
1: pretty, pretty easy question to answer. You know, I'll do respect to Matt. I mean, nobody's on Taker's level, right? So for Jeff Hardy, or excuse me, for CM Punk to get that rub with Taker, it's a big deal. Uh, yeah, and I'm sure that fans are going to be are going to be. Discussing these type things at Starcast with CM Punk. It's a great question. There's a lot of great questions that we get that only the talents themselves can answer. And CM Punk seems to me to be the very—he's very blunt, very open, very honest, very glib, entertaining as hell. Uh, I'd love for somebody to ask him that question at, at Starcast. You know, uh, would you would you like to work with Undertaker better after Jeff Hardy or Matt Hardy to finish the Hardy story? I'm of the belief that WWE made the right call on that. The put CM Punk with Undertaker was, uh, helped make CM Punk a made man, if you will.
0: Let's, uh, let's talk about Adam Leeson's question. How far could DBS and Rhodes have gone as a team had they stayed together for the long term?
1: Now, give me that again.
0: How far could DBS and Rhodes have gone oh. if they'd stayed together for the long term?
1: Well, uh, if, if the company was producing and promoting tag teams, they had an unlimited future. They could have been very, very good. But most guys, especially second generation guys uh, who kind of understand the total workings of the business, uh, most would want, they desire to have a single career. I remember when uh, Bruiser Brody and Stan Hansen came to work in the Mid South as a tag team. Uh, I think uh, Cowboy booked them through the, the Amarillo territory, if I'm not mistaken, through the Funks. And he brought them into mid south as a tag team, and he but he saw unlimited potential individually in Bruiser Brody and uh, who was Frank Goodish at that time and San Hansen, and he told them that he was going to split them up and make them two singles, and they didn't they weren't happy with that decision at that time, they felt like their calling was to be tag team, and so they gave their notice and they left, and then of course not that many months afterwards they 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 broke up themselves. Because they realize Watts was right that there's big there's bigger money for us uh, as, as singles as it is to sharing a, a slot a payoff slot and having to you know split it up. So uh, if these kids could stay together and and tag teams meant something, but that's always my my question about when somebody has a tag team question. Heretofore, the tag team scene in uh, WWE has not been stellar. I think we could all pretty much agree that tag team wrestling has been lackluster until recently. It's better. You know, I'm a big fan of revival. I think they do a great job. Uh, they're a tag team that I would like to, to work with at some point in time or call some of their matches. I, I like their stuff, but in the new days created a whole niche for their three man deal, the, the free three man thing. But until lately it's not been meant much. Both those kids had great potential. I think uh, Ted had a, some issues of some concussion problems, and he's better off now not being in the wrestling business. His body will be healthy. He won't be like his dad and have to have, to have his, all these things replaced—hips and knees and things of that nature. So that worked out for him. And then we see where Cody's at. Cody's, you know, one of the top executives in AEW. Uh, I don't see him being a tag team guy then or or, or or now, especially. But I like the side of both those guys. It just seemed to be cut short. I don't know why the. If it was a personal thing, it was an ego thing, uh, corporately, but something had to happen again, a non, you can't look back at their in-ring work and say, well, they just weren't very good. That's not the case. They were both good and they were both young and learning. And, uh, so I, 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 felt badly that their deal was kind of cut short for some reasons out of their control, but maybe all reasons out of their control, but they could have been very good Conrad. They're two good guys, kind of guys you want in your locker room, young, uh, they're invested in the in the business, the industry itself, uh, because of their family background. You know, Ted was a third-generation guy, for goodness sakes, and so uh, I, I don't know. I felt that's a that was a that was an opportunity that did not get addressed, and I feel badly about that because once those opportunities pass, it's really really challenging to re, to recapture them, especially in the fickle world of pro wrestling.
0: Jamie wants to know when Jeff Hardy did the swanton off the ladder on to CM punk through the announce table, did you have a soundbite in mind or did, did you just decide to let Todd Grisham have that call?
1: No, uh, I didn't know they were going to do the spot. So it, maybe he was just up, you know, uh, and they want, you know, and WWE wanted him to be a star, him being Todd. So, you know, some of the Jr stuff was just not utilized. And, but I understood that role too. Uh, you know, if I could make. That's no, no different than working with Excalibur and AEW, right? You know, my goal is to make him as good as he can possibly be without no agenda. You know, I'm not going to be around forever. I get it. So, uh, but, but if I got him around now and I want him to be better and us to be better, but that was kind of how that worked. You know, uh, Todd was up. He was, he was probably a mid sentence or whatever it may be, or maybe he's leading into it. All he was doing was following my timing because if it had been the roles have been reversed. I was sitting in his chair. That would have been me talking. For better or for worse, I don't even know, but, uh, that's kind of how that worked. Uh, now Todd may have known a finish or a spot. It was pretty obvious. They're going to do something. I mean, you got a guy laying on the table in front of you, (laughs) he didn't go to rest or, you know, get a cold drink of water. So, you know, something's going to happen. So, you know, good for him. He stepped up and and I don't even remember what he said, but nonetheless, uh, it was, he was, he was next up to talk and he just did it.
0: Hey, so you mentioned it earlier briefly. He said, uh, with a litany of announcers at ringside, how weird is it? To be a part of, uh, okay, you're going to call this match, and now our table's going to call that match, and now the match after that, the other table's going to call. So you got an ECW set of announcers, you've got you on SmackDown with you and 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 Grisham or Gresham rather, and then Raw, of course, is uh, Lawler and Cole. I mean, what wh- what do you think of six different announcers on the same freaking show?
1: As the great uh, announcer in Calgary, Ed Wayland would say, it was somewhat of a malfunction. At the junction, a lot of people out there. what people don't get is the fact that everybody stayed. Nobody got up and left when they weren't up, he sat there. Right. And so then like ninth graders, as we all are sometimes, if, uh, if you were talking, uh, uh, you know, if you were talking, then you can bet the other guys are making faces at you or rolling their eyes or whatever. It was like a, it was just. It was silly shit that took your mind off what you were doing. And so, you know, me is, uh, I'm not a big three man broadcast booth guy. Uh, don't mean I can't do it. or won't do it. I just don't like it as much. Uh, but when you got six out there, uh, it's, it's daunting, even though we're not all talking at the same time, there's interaction ongoing. That's not even seen on camera. So it, it was somewhat disconcerting and it was hard to develop a rhythm because you start and stop and start and stop. So, uh, but you know, it, again, it gets back to that competitive situation. You want to be, you want to be the best team out there. So that's your goal. But I, I didn't, I didn't get a good feel for that show because of the start, stop, start, stop, uh, scenario, but it's, it's, it's kind of daunting and it's crowded and you know, it just, it was one of those experiments, man. You know, WWE is a big believer in that more is more. So that's why, you know, three hour show sure, really. Three announcers on every show, really more is more. And I, and I'm not going to be surprised that somewhere along the way that they don't have a four man table and I'm not going to be surprised that when they start on Fox, you're going to hear some different voices. So it's an ongoing battle of, of, uh, I started to say, uh, musical chairs. It's more of a battle of folding chairs out there in that scenario. So it was, it was awkward, a little awkward, but you know, we had fun, but it it's just a little awkward.
0: John Cato has an interesting question that we've never really talked about. And he says, I always felt that ECW was obviously a watered down version of the original company. It seemed more of a marketing push to get ratings. And if this was the case, why didn't they ever try to do the same with WCW? Now, of course we know they did an invasion angle. Um, and we've talked about that and and I'm sure we'll talk about it a lot more, but was that ever even discussed? You know, I mean, I know that the, the success of one night stand maybe convinced Vince that, Hey, this is worth a shot. This still has legs. And of course the sales of that DVD, but the death of WCW came out around this era and that, that did really well as well. Was the to the best year recollection? Was it ever discussed? Hey, what if we just relaunched WCW? We own the brand. We could put it on another night. We could spin it off.
1: Yeah, it was discussed. Uh, I don't know how deeply one would say it was discussed. Uh, casually probably more my idea. Uh, but yeah, it was discussed. But we we couldn't go there and under the guise of trying. You can't be. I remember Vince and I talking about this with some other executive people. You know, we can't be PG to our advertisers. But except our one show, we do it's R because you couldn't do the original ECW uh, ju- do it uh, do it justice unless you're uh, R rated, in my view, anyway. Kind of that, like the Attitude Era. And we just couldn't adopt at that time uh, with our, that presentation of being PG and being more advertiser friendly, the entire ECW, uh, game plan just wouldn't have worked and that they had a unique thing. I, I still get a kick out of listening. You know, I'm a big fan of busted open radio and Sirius X sound and Dave Agrega and bully Ray and Bubba Dudley, uh, Mark Henry, all those cats do a great job, but it's fun to listen to Bubba talk about ECW. Because he still talks about it with great passion and conviction and love. And he respected what they did. And it put him and, and Devon on the map, no doubt about that. That's, we hired them because they're running ECW. Uh, but th- that's a, a unique deal. They, they have a certain way that they believe the business should be presented. I don't disagree with all of it whatsoever. But I love their passion. But for for ECW to be a, have a life again in that regard, even then, you gotta you gotta blow up your model. And you can't be PG on three shows and R on another, and it's just it's gonna defeat the purpose of being advertiser friendly in the WWE corporate world philosophy. Never was never was a push hard. We're gonna do this. It was the fact that we. I think the WWE got what they wanted out of the uh, ECW. They bought the library. Uh, they had the. The one night stand was a great success, made a lot of money. The DVDs made a lot of money and we got some good talent out of it too. Uh, so those guys we brought in. So I think we won in that regard, but if you're an ECW loyalist, we didn't win at all because you wanted to see more. Right. And, and I understand why you wanted to see more. It was entertaining as hell. ECW was not a whole lot different than some eras, some points in time of mid South. Hey, look, I, I called a 30 man first blood battle Royal. You, you, you lose when you bleed. That, so to say who, who, who was extreme and who wasn't extreme? I don't know. It didn't matter. I keep keeping score at home. But, and all I'm saying is that, you know, the, the, some of the territory era where, uh, blood and guts were the way of the, way of the world is what it was, you know, but it just, we couldn't do it. We couldn't do it. We'd already passed that point of no return to go back to our rated television.
0: Interesting question here from Jay Johnson six 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 six. Why didn't Ted DiBiase ever make it big time in your opinion? And is it fair to say at the time most thought Cody Rhodes would wind up being the Marty Jannetty to his Shawn Michaels?
1: Hmm. Interesting question. I never quite saw it that way. To be honest with you, I always thought they were both uh, Teddy and and Cody, both pretty equal footing. They had great looks. The heritage we talked about, the DNA, wrestling DNA. I don't know that Ted had the same drive and the same passion that his dad did. You know, uh, the million dollar man was extraordinary. Still is as a human being. I don't know that Teddy, Teddy junior really felt it. Uh, and I don't know that sometimes I might be wrong about this. I'm sure I'll hear about it that, you know, maybe his heart wasn't in it as much as it would have been ideally. But I, I don't know. I, it's hard to say. It just, uh, and he had some injury issues. I just think if I, am trying to think back, Conrad. I believe that there were some, some lingering issues about. It, like I don't know if it was concussions or something. There was something that was never going to be totally evaporated. He was always going to have some issues there. I believe. Gosh, I wish I could remember all the details. But hey, I was there. He was a good kid, man. A good locker room kid polite professional. I just don't think at the end of the day, and it's, it always makes it sound like you're knocking somebody or throwing someone under the bus. I'm just not so sure that Ted DiBiase junior was cut from the same cloth that his dad was cut from. And, uh, and, and so then, because you've got that famous dad, he, that's what you're always judged by compared to. Well, he's never going to be, he's never going to be the million dollar man. But, but what, we don't know what we don't want, but man, what follows, but I don't know. So I think that's what it was. Conrad it just, it might not have been the most perfect professional fit for him. I know I talked to his dad and Teddy's Teddy jr. Is doing great and he's got a real good job. He's got benefits. He's home with his family. He's healthy. So maybe at the end of the day, he did really win. Just not in that same game that his dad played in for all those years.
0: Uh lots of questions about this. This one from legit Joey Bowie. He says, Any insight onto the total cosmetic overhaul the event received that year in regard to the revamp logo and graphics? Now we talked about how the presentation of the poster was different, but this is an interesting point. I guess ten years prior to this, they used a different SummerSlam logo, and here a switch. Uh does Vince just get tired of an idea and say, I want something new, or does someone in production or creative services bring some different ideas, and he just prefers a different look.
1: It starts and stops with with Vince, right? If, if Vince believes it's time for an upgrade, uh, sometimes just change for change's sake. I think I was a party to that. Well, Jared doesn't. He does a nice job. But I want. I, I don't want him on my show. He doesn't represent what I want our brand to represent, and that's kind of where it ended up with me. Uh, you know, my the non-smiling Bell's Fallsy. Bill's palsy afflicted face or my Oklahoma accent or whatever the hell it may be. Uh, so, you know, they didn't pay me by the size of my cheeks. If They had a lot of it eaten more. Uh, but nonetheless, I, I, I just think that that's, he gets tired of things. And then when people sense that uh, they're quick to capitalize on bringing him the changes that he inferred he wanted. And that gets creative people to be creative, which they love doing and making all these different samples and, and, uh, and uh, illustrations. So, yeah, I think a lot of, it starts and stops with Vince, but by and large, almost everything there. Uh, but, but it was, you know, it's just a matter they retool, they reinvent. And sometimes the reinvention is for a good reason. And sometimes re- reinvention is simply the, the caused by complacency and the same as, I remember somebody saying one time that Vince got rid of somebody there. He was working for him. Because he got tired of looking at him now, I, I have a hard time believing that, but I'm sure the person that was involved would probably deny my claim that, you know, he just, he just didn't, he got tired of looking at him as, simple, as crazy as it sounds. Uh, but that's kind of, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a, unique man. He missing man is not normal. And that's why anything he does as far as, you know, well, AEW is not a competition blah, blah, blah. Okay, good. Okay, fine. Who cares? Who cares, really? What difference does it make? The more that they talk about AEW, the more it helps AEW. In my opinion, you know. It keeps us on the keeps us on the radar. So, because they got a bigger platform to talk than we do, so more ears are hearing them than hearing us at this point in time. But that that's kind of where that was, Connie. I don't think that uh, everything starts and stops with the boss there. And that's why you asked me earlier about you know, WWE going to NXT, moving to NXT off their own network to the USA network to go head to head against us. Well, look, if they didn't want to, if they want to go ahead, somebody said, well, they've been running on Wednesday nights long before us. WWE, uh, WWE has or NXT. You're right. I did some of those shows. I, I know when they were aired, I was there and I did a lot of stuff, even with, with dusty and so forth. But, but, uh, you know, the thought is is that they could have gone to another night or they could have gone to Tuesday night. They could have done a lot, but they got that would. such a, They'll say, well, we had to, we'd have to change our our taping schedule or whatever, which is irrelevant. It's weak. That's lame. You know, That's like telling Brian Kendrick he's getting let go because of the economy. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Jesus. So the thing is, it gave them a chance to go head-to-head against AEW to hopefully retard the potential growth of our company. I don't know how much that helps wrestling fans or not, but thank God there's a DVR. Uh, I think both audiences are going to have uh, – in interesting number of viewers, I think, I really think we will. And I don't know how much It's going to hurt either one whatsoever, but your, your, original question was about the Vince thing and it all starts and stops with Vince. And that's why I say I was absolutely, uh, un, unmoved by the fact that, that they were going to do this thing on Wednesday. Who cares? Who cares? All the AEW has going to worry about is kicking ass. And having good shows week after week. And we haven't proven that yet. We haven't been there yet. We haven't played on that, in that stadium, but we are soon going to be playing in that stadium. We've proven that week on a one night deal. We're pretty damn salty. How can, how can AEW do on a weekly task? And the irony is that the majority of the talents there have never experienced this every week on these TV shows. Jericho has Moxley has, I have, and then, you know, you start, then it gets kind of sl- slim pickings. So it's going to be fun to see how that works out, but that's the deal. All starts and stops with events. And if they're not, if they don't think, if this doesn't illustrate that they believe that we're, re- that we're real and viable and has some potential, nothing will tune in
0: next week, right here on grill and Jr. We'll be visiting CM punk and his incredible run in the WWE. And we'll see you next week. And every week right here, Thursday mornings on your ride to work on the Mighty Westwood One with Grill and JR. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together